Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is the first day of February, twenty eighteen. A, a lot of a, a lot of information to get into. A lot, a, a, just a full full show tonight. First uh, first hour. Steve Quayle going to be talking about uh, Greg Evenson. This is a tribute for Mr. Greg Evenson, who passed away on the um, well, last Friday, last or late Friday, early Saturday. I received a call Saturday morning, as, as, as our audience knows, from Steve Quayle, who uh, informed me of the news. Um, we here at the Hagman Studio um, are just heartbroken. Uh, we, we miss we miss Greg Evenson tremendously. But Mr. Greg Evenson was uh, one of the most uh, incredible warriors, uh, truth warriors, that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. To um, pay tribute to Mr. Greg Evenson is Steve Quayle. Uh, so uh, I, I just want to mention this as well. Um, we are broadcasting live off of HagmanReport.com because obviously we, we are disabled from live YouTube broadcasting. So if you're listening to this via Blog Talk, via Global Star Satellite Radio, compliments of satellite our Global Star Satellite Radio, we are broadcasting live video off of HagmanReport.com. Go there, and you can watch us. And again, thank you so much to Todd and Global Star Radio. One last item of housekeeping. News is breaking everywhere about the FISA memo uh, tomorrow, as well as the one-year commemorative mark of the um uh, the disclosure of the Iwan criminal cabal in the in Congress. So much news to get into. Just keep your eye on both stevequail.com and, of course, hagmanreport.com for more information. But without cutting into any any more of Steve's time, let's bring on Steve Quail, stevequail.com. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Doug, and it's a it's a great opportunity to literally uh, lift up a man of God who was a warrior who uh, who was a man who never failed to mention the Lord Jesus Christ, who was never shamed of the gospel. I actually termed Greg the Romans one sixteen man, and I just posted on my website where Greg's funeral will be. It's going to be in Iron Mountain, Michigan, and it's going to be uh, viewing is going to be at 3.15, 3.45 on Saturday, and you can go there and look, and what I've been able to do is basically, uh, you know, send a, if you will, a video eulogy to be presented at the funeral out of my love for Greg, out of my respect for Greg, and uh, it's going to be a celebration of life. Now, Doug, Greg and I have had the pleasure of appearing on your show probably a dozen times over the years. He's appeared with Hawk numerous times. And over those times and, and meeting Greg at the Whitestone uh, Conference, we've become incredibly good friends and close friends. And one of the exciting things about that is I always, after I talked to Greg, I always felt bolder, 
I felt the love of God. I felt like I was listening to a warrior. I felt like somebody who had his uh, record for, uh, how do I say this, a pinnacle of law enforcement perfection. As you know, most people, he didn't like to talk about his military background. And I want to share something. Uh, You know, days before Greg called, or forgive me, Days before Greg died, he called me, and he wanted to come on your show, Doug, and I believe it was, uh, you know, a week ago. It would have been a week ago Monday. Does that sound right? I think it was a week ago this Monday. Yes. And he wanted to share with the people some stuff he had held. Now, Greg knew it was shortly his time to go. How do I know that? In all the years I've known Greg, he's never called me twice in a row. And even uh, the night before he passed away, hours before, it's on the eulogy that's uh, linked on my site that uh, Rhonda Margera did. And by the way, Rhonda generated that out of her love and respect for Greg, and it was a, a wonderful thing. But the deal is is that uh, the tributes that have been coming in, and we're going to have a website that's being developed right now called gregevensontribute.com. It's not up yet. It's being built. It's going to be uh, a managed website so people who, as they hear the different uh, messages and teachings of Greg around the world, I made a statement, and it's in the beginning of my seven-minute eulogy to Greg, again, that will be played. I I I pray I could have gotten there. It was just impossible. Gotten there is interesting. Iron River, Michigan. Greg taught school in high school at Stambo, Michigan, and I was born in the Stambo, Michigan Hospital. Greg and I are, uh, he's one year older than I am. His birthday was in March of 50. And the, I would say this, the unusual nature of our friendship, literally him being just up the road from my birthplace and having the proximity as Upper Peninsula guys, I guess we they call us Oopers or Upper Peninsula, guy, Peninsula guys, there was kind of an unusual, not only a geographic uh, sharing, but also a camaraderie. You know, I've made the statement, I have had a record of choosing the wrong friends in my life, and I've chosen wrongly so many times, and I, I used to be a, I won't tell people, they can probably figure it out, but I used to be too much of a DS trusting person and uh, that got taken away and one day I was praying before the Lord and I said God why do I always choose friends uh, so stupidly and he simply said this to me and this is I needed to hear this I don't make any bones about it I heard this in my spirit if you'll trust me Steve I'll give you better friends than you'd ever choose for yourself to those of you who have been blessed to listen to Greg all these years over a decade, decade on talk radio reading his posts on news with views he always encouraged people he always left them with a hope and a strength that was his to impart you have to have god move in your life doug before god can move through your life and i can tell you this out of the out of the how do i say this tactfully out of the garbage that was thrown at him even now at his passing people are still trying to undermine uh you know even things like uh who he really was in the military now let me share something because and doug you have seen a certain document i produced to you in the uh, time yes that and, I have, and it's authentic and just for the naysayers out there steve i i'm sorry but it is authenticated it is an authentic uh, authentic document 
uh, uh, as, as to who he is or who he was, the position he held, the certification level he had, and anyone wants to take me on about it, let's let's rock. Go ahead. Well, and just so you know, it's been sent out to a couple generals, and I want to say something to General F. That's not the swear word. That's the first initial of his last name. You know what Greg and you have talked about over the year, and now even his wife, Liz, is having a a hassle by the VA. And I want to share something with people. I know Hawk and I talk about black ops. We talk about basically uh, people who can be disappeared in the military, and all their records from their birth, everything disappears when you go ultra-black. So somebody with a top security clearance, let's say working for the Secret Service or somebody else, they can't access that any more than I can find a needle in a haystack. And if I've got a, uh, let's just say this, I'm the world's expert on haystacks. When someone goes black ops and goes into uh, uh, very classified and specialized fields, they disappear. And I, I, I just want everyone to know this multiple four-star generals who used to hear Greg and I talk on the radio and uh, from that point forward would always make note of his courage and stuff. So they never questioned the veracity. And the people I was talking to are black ops. You can say, why would anybody talk to me? Because I've never been in a government position. I've never. Now, this isn't about me. It's about Greg. But I want to share something. Since that time, Doug, that I emailed you, those documents uh, less than an hour ago, I've had one of uh, my federal friends who's a uh, Marine, God bless you guys, all you Marines out there, Semper Fi, but he has basically, I mean, he's got bona fides that are as big as his biceps, and they're about 24 inches. Those are big biceps. And the deal is, as he said, this is as legitimate as it comes, Steve. And he says, again, the, the civilian world, even law enforcement, doesn't understand our world. Also, I put the documents out to multi-star generals, and I'm asking for those without equal. You can do it any way you want to get to me, but I want to protect the legacy of what I believe is one of the most, uh, one of the bravest, one of the most outstanding men of God slash warriors slash worshipers that I have ever known in my life. And uh, God bless you, Liz Evenson. God bless the family, Greg and Liz's children, five together. And it's important for me to do this for my friend. Doug, just like you and I have been friends for a long time, or David Langford and I for 25 years, I would not allow an untruth to be said about you if I, you know, if I, I won't say it because obviously anything can be misconstrued, but you're not going to allow an open lie to exist. Again, ladies and gentlemen, there are 27 levels above top secret. I've heard this argument, and please read between the lines. Well, my uncle who was in military intelligence, uh, Vietnam, he says, you guys are all crazy. Your uncle, with all due respect, thank you for his service to the uh, uh, United States of America, but he doesn't know squat when it comes to black ops. Black ops is the, the stuff that is so hidden that even in, in certain aspects, that they go to great extremes to literally erase any of their presence in any foreign field, lest anything, any genetic marker be given away. And I won't go into detail, because when I first heard about it, I about threw up. But the point is, is that they will cover their tracks as good as they can. 
One of them specifically said to me, Steve, we can make anybody in the world disappear. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking legally. Just as, guess what? Intelligence agencies can invent a president who's born out of country, run him for president, get him elected. And now, Doug, we see the results of that. So at this point, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I am undertaking uh, to basically not only give a tribute to my beloved friend, but also to absolutely help his wife get the veterans of benefits that are being denied. Now, here's what I think is going on, Doug. Hate to bring it in, but Greg and I talked uh, the weekend before he and I were to come on with you, okay, and I believe it was Monday night. This would have been, what, two Mondays ago, two weeks ago, Monday? Uh, I mean, days before, he, days before his passing, yes. Yes, days before his passing. And he started to talk to me about stuff. I so, I so zeroed in on it. I immediately called Hawk and said, this is what Greg wants to come free with. I got to believe. And look, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to generate drama, but I've got to believe that those phone calls, like all phone calls, are tapped. And by the way, everybody's phone calls are tapped. But obviously those of us who have uh, been warning are more tapped. And so the decision someplace was being and given and orders passed down through the uh, uh, plausible deniability lineup to basically besmirch his reputation, undermine his claims. And But what they can't do is get away from the pre-existent papers that already exist. So I'm asking everybody out there, those of you who have been in the military, and those of you vets that know this for firsthand, that please pray that that which is rightly due to Liz Evenson, by the way, she didn't know I'm going here. I didn't talk to her about this. She just told me that the VA is denying that he even pretty much existed in the military. So, you know, uh, when you take four-star generals telling you they can make anybody disappear, when you see the corruption within law enforcement that's present on a federal level, when you see the shenanigans, the outright treason, treachery, and disgusting abrogation of the law, the thing is, is you've got to realize, ladies and gentlemen, that there is a, uh, a massive attempt to cover up the truth. All I know is this, uh, we were scheduled to go on a called. I had called John Roberson. Uh, this is a matter of public knowledge. I have it on my phone. John's got it on his phone. And then I had to give uh, John the news. Now, Greg, obviously, most of you probably uh, don't know, but he basically died and fell into the shower, and his wife, uh, Liz, had to give him, um, uh, what do you call it, Press, uh, uh, artificial CPR. respiration. You know, CPR. CPR. There you go. Yeah. And also mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Liz has been through the ringer for uh, for two years, and I want you to cover her in such a supernatural loving prayer that God will stand by her, uphold her, and that he'll be with her, and he will fight this battle for her. I know Liz from the time I met Greg, and the thing is, she has a love for Jesus that is astonishing, astounding, and it is as real as it comes. She's absolutely fractured, and for the people to take on Greg's uh, you know, military stuff at this point really bothers me. It really bothers me. So please, ladies and gentlemen, cover Greg's family with the blood of Jesus and release the spirit of truth and release the lying devils from being able to lie any longer. And so, you know, the, the idea simply is this, Doug, that we spoke 
we talked about things that he wanted to come on, and he knew he was going to pass, okay? He knew he was going to pass. In all the years that Greg and I have been talking, there was such an urgency the last time I talked to him, and, you know, then the last I ever heard from him was as I put in, or excuse me, as Rhonda put in the words that I wrote on the alert on his passing. The thing is, is that it was, it was, how should I say this? It was his desire to make known information. I guess the question is, will we ever make it known? Because I don't want to make known anything that will give his enemies any more, um, what do you say, ammunition? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and yeah. I will tell you this. From all the people I've known, from all the people I know that deal with the stuff that goes bump in the night, uh, all of the mighty men of valor, uh, all those who are without equal, and th this is a specific group of military guys that will know what I'm talking about, never, ever, ever have I heard any of them question Greg's bona fides and his service to his country. As a matter of fact, if I told what he was wanting to break on your show, Doug, what he really wanted to get out, simply most people couldn't believe it. They can't even embrace what they see, let alone what they don't see, fulfilling the words of Jesus. If I've told you earthly things and you believe me not, how can I tell you heavenly things? So again, I want to just thank you, Doug, for letting Greg and I come on. I want to thank Hawk for the times that Hawk would interview uh, Greg. I want to thank the people that listened and read his uh, uh, articles on News with the Views. And I'm also going to go on record as saying, I believe God told me this, and, and you can challenge whatever, but I don't I can't say it that way. I don't care. The bottom line is is that the ministry of Greg Evenson, and I love his middle name. Most people don't know this. His middle name is Lance. How appropriate is that, Lance? I mean, you know, I, 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 just appropriate. And his ministry will be more effective now that he's gone to be with Jesus than it was because people all over the world have listened to his broadcasts and rebroadcasts. And so Greg Evenson, uh, um, oh, what did I tell you, Tribute.com will be up uh, hopefully within the next two weeks. And uh, everybody who has personal contact with him, if you want to share, we'll put up your initials only. Some of you have seen the uh, massive response coming in. And I just want to read one thing, Doug, and I don't know if Dave Dobbenmeyer is listening in, but after this, if you want to bring him on, it's okay with me. Dear Steve, this is Sharon in uh, the prayer center at Morningside. Greg has had a tremendous impact on my life. Years ago, Greg spoke at a conference at Roaring River. Liz, Greg's wife, was there, and it was a joy to meet her as well. It was so wonderful and empowering to hear someone standing up for the Lord Jesus and our nation with such commitment. You could tell from the moment Greg began speaking that he was passionate for the Lord and America. I'd previously watched some YouTube videos and listened to interviews where he was sharing about the shadow government and what their plans were to enslave God's people, the patriots and the constitutionalists. His life impacted so many and he was used mightily by the Lord to remove the deceptive veil on God's people and expose the darkness. My heart goes out to Liz for the tremendous loss of her soulmate. I pray for God's peace and comfort to sustain Liz and all those who loved and still love Greg. He will be greatly missed. Thank Thank you, Sharon, for your lovely email. So, Doug, in, in, in looking at the bigger picture, the grain of wheat has to 
fall to the ground, the parable. Jesus even taught it. But if it does fall to the ground, it and it dies initially, but it brings forth much fruit. And I, I was sad. I was totally sad about this when, obviously, I, I just... I broke out crying, and I said, God, God, I hate death. God, I hate hell, and I hate the grave. And simply the Lord spoke. Comfort is only he can speak. God speaks to me just like he speaks to everybody. The Bible says his sheep hear his voice. He said, Steve, so do I. I conquered them all through my resurrection. Isn't that a cool word? I'm I'm torqued, okay? Torqued is another word for, you know, extremely angry. Not at God, but at the situation. And instantly, those words comforted me. And I know that Jesus said, again, just later on, within probably 30 seconds of that, he said, I am the resurrection. So Greg loved Jesus, and I think it should be a testimony. His life should stand as a testimony to those who are basically bashful, shy, cowards, compromisers, that standing for Jesus has more effect, not only in eternity, but for now, than anything you or I or any of us could do. Jesus said if we basically bear his name upon our lips, if we confess his name before men on earth, he'll confess our name before his Father in heaven. And so, you know, it's with great delight that I offer to Greg my tribute, and by the way, I refuse to talk to any saints about them as the late or this or that. To me, Greg is as real right now, and I'm not denying anything, I'm just saying Greg is as real and as alive now, more so than he was on earth. So I would encourage you to uh, to take out the word deceased, and I would use, and this applies to anybody who's lost loved ones, anybody who is having a difficult time with dealing with the loss of their loved ones, and I'd also like to say this, anybody who's lost a loved one, I'd like to have you just send me an email, tell me when your spouse, your friend, your son died, I'd like you to send, uh, I'd like to send you a book free called Tears, An Ocean of Emotion. It's helped so many people to cope, it's helped so many people to get a grasp, it's normal to mourn. And then, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is, is uh, Dave ready to come on? Uh, pursuant to your email, Steve, uh, okay. the, the second half, so... Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm losing track of time. But here's an ocean of emotion. Based on the feedback, and, and that's the most unusual book I've ever written, completely beyond, it's about healing people's hearts because the ministry of Jesus is binding up the brokenhearted. And then the other thing we're praying about, and we're going to put it up on Greg's website, gregevensontribute.com, will be all of Greg's uh, music. Those of you who were at Whitestone had the privilege of hearing him sing. Man, the guy was able to belt out the tunes, but every single note that he sang, you could tell the love of God. Doug, Liz sent me on one of his last surgeries a picture of Greg going into surgery. They had a surgical hat on his head, and, and he was starting to go out of anesthesia. And he had his hand lifted in the air, praising the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was so uh, moving to me. It was so touching. But a man like that does not lie. And he doesn't lie about his past. The reason
reason Greg would never talk about his military past is because, number one, uh, he's out of the realm, too. He, send, he signed a national security letter, which Doug, you saw as reference in the uh, uh, DSI uh, master right. letter. And yep. ladies and gentlemen, he honored that. And even his closest friends, I think, are a little miffed because they didn't know who Greg really was. Isn't that tragic? It seems like most people, you know, who just go on with their life, and a real hero doesn't brag, a real hero, excuse me, simply lives his life with the knowledge he did what he could when called upon to do what he was asked to call up, or asked to do. So I'm blessed to know Greg. I'm blessed to have seen the power of God move through his life, and I just pray that Jesus will be totally glorified in his life. Uh, Doug, you know, share with the people how he touched your life. Well, well thanks, Steve, for for allowing me to do this it was on it was initially at whitestone it was in uh, the end of uh, may of 2014 um we had about a 45 minute period where it was just greg and i alone and we walked outside it was one of the pleasant days there we walked outside spoke um as we as we walked we talked and at first we got to know each other because that was the first time we met and and then he had um he had shared with me his background, parts of his background, but in, in such a way that that um, um, it was it was he put it in context, in the context of the, not of just the conversation, but of the this entire show. And we talked about uh, he shared with me about his, if you can believe this, Steve, his vision of our show at that time and the people that we were um, affecting. And in his, based by the way, on his background, and the the background, his background, well, I shouldn't say unbelievable, but but really, um, his law enforcement, his military background, is really the highest uh, of levels that I've ever seen. And he said to me, you know, uh, it's it's who you touch. How you touch those people. Um, I'm fumbling for words here, Steve, because it was for, for just meeting someone. It was as if we had known each other for years and, um, through your friendship, through y- you hooking us up together in terms of, um, friendship. It was, it, he had given, he had poured his heart out to me about his vision. And, but most importantly, Steve, about what was coming. The, the, his view of what was coming, and, and people have to remember, this is 2014, middle of 2014, and he had said things will change and things are going to get bumpy, and we are all going to play a, sp- a special role. And it was almost as if he kind of knew in advance, I don't know if I'm making sense, but knew in advance of how short of a time he had left, you know, in terms of less than a half a decade. But but all of us, how short of a time we all have left to get things done. And he said, and I remember this. He put it, he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, "Never, ever give up. No matter what happens, never give up." And he said, you know, and it just stuck with me. And that might sound like just a really trite or just something something simple, but it was that full. Full body, you know, full Greg Evenson, full of life, um, it, it, it kick butt kind of guy who, who just, who, who, who 
again, put his arm on my shoulder and said, never, ever give up. And it's going to get tough. And we only have certain time, you know, uh, just a short amount of time to get the job done. And he said, uh, and, and he did say, he said, I'm counting on you to do it. I'm going to do what I can. Uh, Steve is doing what he can. And, uh, and, and we're, we're all in this together. But man, the, he put every, it was in that moment, Steve, it was as if we had known each other for, for a long time. But in that moment, it was as if he understood and relate to me the understanding of the times we're living in today. So having not, having missed that, him not being on the show when he was supposed to be is both, I'm thinking that perhaps this was a divine thing that he shouldn't have been or that, that it wasn't meant to be. But had it been, ah, Man, I, I, I don't, you know, I just, I just don't know. I, Steve, I, I'm, I'm emotional because I love the man. I love the man. One of the things, Doug, I think that I can really, you know, I tried to think about. Some people leave their fingerprints on your life, and they make an impression, you know. But that's what it was. Hey, I met this guy. He made an impression. He said this. It impressed me. Some people basically give you the hand of friendship, and that friendship is for a time, you know. They're there, but then they, they either pass away or you go your separate way. Unfortunately, that's so sad now in marriages. Then there's the people that so touch your heart that your innermost being flows, and I would say this perpetually, just like God touches our heart, he renews our heart, and Greg was one of those people. That's why you could relate to him so instantly. So could I. So could anybody who really, and here's what I would say, anybody with a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not judging, I'm talking about everybody I know in my sphere of influence, I can't speak for anybody outside of that, but who Greg uh, grace their life and friendship with was different. By the way, he was a man's man. Uh, I remember when he and Mike, and I won't use Mike's last name, P. Mike, that's out of uh, concern for you and, you know, not basically name-dropping that would get you in any harm's way. Uh, a former governor's bodyguard, when they came to Whitestone, he and Greg were loaded for bear. And because, uh, you know, certain uh, uh, lies were said about what was going to go on at Whitestone, and people were worried that this was a cult, blah, blah, blah. They had the SWAT team come in just to make their presence, I think it was in the Holiday Inn or something, and Greg and, and uh, Mike basically just surveilled the parking lot. Those guys had their eyes on it. I remember what Greg said, and oh, Doug, this, stood, this just stands with my heart forever. He said, nobody's going to get hurt on our watch. He was talking about he and Mike, and Mike's a big guy, and again, Mike, thank you for the years you were Greg's friend, thank you for the years you were my friend, and are my friend, and the point is, is that these are quality men, and by the way, Mike is a ex, I don't think it's right to call him an ex-Marine, but I'm saying this, every Marine I know, they're just exemplary, uh, and I mean, I know guys in the Army, I know guys in the Navy, and in the Air Force, but the bottom line is, I can only say this, 
the men whom God has brought across my path from Jeremiah Farrell, obviously Jamie, obviously, um, you know, I've got to give certain names out in code so they don't get in trouble because they're still active duty and stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, I would say this, the former Viking who came to Jesus, uh, you know, my friends in the military, my general friends, all of you, I just thank you because, you know, Doug, you said an important thing. I have been hot enough, and I'm trying to, you know, allow God to change my personality. I have certain things that really infuriate me. And by the way, you know, you can tell me, well, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't get angry. Oh, yes, the Bible says God is angry with sin every day. So the point is, is that Greg would call at the most opportune times. And number one, because he was at peace, and he was a warrior, he could speak peace to me. And I'm a lot better than I was. I'm still not where I need to be. But you know what? I love the fact that he was a man's man. I mean, uh, honestly, you know, he'd have his Bible in his hand. But it's interesting because all the guys I know that are real warriors, and I mean real ones, not wannabes, I mean, listen, they have the Word of God in their left hand, and and if they're right-handed, they're 45s either on their hip or in a shoulder holster or ready to go for it. Now, I make no apologies. I'm not a pacifist. Greg wasn't a pacifist, but he taught people how not to be victims and what we have is a society of victims and Dave Dobermeyer would tell you the same thing God never meant for any men of God to be meow men okay and there's another word for that and um, you know I won't say it because of course it would be offensive but ladies and gentlemen this is such a blessing to be able to share our great uh, love, admiration, and respect and say this, that the Greg Evenson tribute site is going to stay on. And, Doug, I'm going to give it back to you and bring on Dave if he's there. But if any of you would like to contribute, it doesn't go to me, and here's what the here's where it goes. It's going to go to uh, the lady that's going to maintain the site for the next couple years. Uh, the servant is worthy of her hire. Uh, Rhonda put that uh, tribute video together on her own, and that's so touched my heart, Doug. That shows me somebody who had a heart for Jesus, meaning Rhonda, and did something with it. So if any of you would like, I'll give you her address. You can send the uh, a donation, but it's going to cost a couple thousand bucks for her to maintain the site, uh, you know, for for two years. Uh, just, you know, the, the domain name, the, the uh, renewals and everything. And plus, it takes her time out of what she already does to make a living. So, you know, I'm so blessed that she did that tribute and most people who have watched the tribute it's on my website the link is you got to go to the link uh but the point being is is that uh people all over the world are emailing me about that so there was an anointing on what Rhonda did so you know please ladies and gentlemen pray about it if greg has touched your life and you want to give a 100 hundred dollar donation instead of sending flowers why not give a living tribute? And again, you can I'll give you her PayPal address and everything else. But I can tell you this. She's got the integrity and also the tenacity to basically follow through, follow up, and she's a woman of her word. She's feisty. God bless you, Rhonda. But that's a good thing in a nation of meow men and basically hissing, uh, uh, 
females who have lost their identity and what they could be if they get over their hate for men. So the point being is, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be gregevensontribute.com. And believe me, it's going to go up as quickly as we can get it up. Uh, you know, I'm obviously going to fund the first donations to it. And I want my brother Greg to basically see, I want people to see that his life goes on living, the words that God uh, gave him go on flowing, and the encouragement. You see, here's the nice thing about an anointing. An anointing doesn't leave with a person when God calls them home. That which is eternal, that which they yielded to, that's what the Holy Ghost uh, uh, manifested his life through their life. That goes on giving and giving and giving, because there is no time in the promise, the provision, or the presence of God's Word when it's lived out through a surrendered uh, servant of His. So, Doug, thank you for letting us have this hour to truly bless the Lord, O oh, our soul, and all that is within us, you know, praise His name. Uh, is Dave with us yet? Uh, let, let me check here. We yes. just, uh, uh, it's, 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 I just want to say this, uh, folks watching on, on, on video, we, we crashed the servers at Global Star. Um, so just bear with us there. Uh, we are attempting to, uh, connect with Dave Dobmeyer. It'll be, mo- it'll be just a few moments. In the meantime, let me ask you this, Steve. Blog talk for yeah. a, if you want the audio stream on it. Right. Uh, blog, uh, blog talk radio, just go to HagmanReport.com, click on blog talk, uh, while we're getting the servers back up and running for the live stream. Steve, is there anything, while we're waiting for, um, Dave Dobmeyer, is there anything our listeners can do? Uh, is there anything our listeners can do to, um, uh, help Liz with respect to the um, uh, uh, Veterans Affairs business. Yeah, just intercede. Pray that the spirit of truth will be released. Pray that God will break the stranglehold on those who would seek to deny another veteran. By the way, he's a Vietnam War guy. I have his list. I don't know, Doug. You should have it, too. I don't know how many emails. And for the record, everything I've gotten in the way of paperwork, I've sent out to multi-star generals, retired. I'm making a plea for the mighty men of valor. Again, I would do this for any of you guys without giving up any of your identities to basically stand up for a fellow warrior and someone else who was in space command. And I won't even go there. I understand, Doug, why the Lord may have said it's not time yet, Steve, you know, and um, I understand that. But please, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who want to give a living legacy and touch the lives of others, Greg's website will be unlike any other, and it will be permanently placed on my website, uh, you know, and it'll just be called Greg Evenson Tribute. And uh, I'm going to allow that which God has worked in his life to basically touch the lives of others. Hey, Doug, I am here now. Can you hear me? Okay. We do have uh, Dave Dobbenmeyer joining us. Uh, Good. Uh, uh, Dave, go ahead, sir. Uh, thanks for, for giving me a chance to come on tonight. Steve, God bless you, man, for, for all you do. i got a I got a softer side, a bit of a story to tell about Greg Evenson that uh, you guys will appreciate because you knew the guy. You know, a lot of us who are kind of in the, if you want to call it the, you know, the public 
public scene or whatever, people see our faces and hear our voices. Often you don't really know what a guy's like. You know, we, you know Steve, Doug, there are phonies every, everywhere in, in all walks of life, and including uh, in some ministry, to be honest with you. And Greg was one of those guys, man. I can tell you, my, my relationship with Greg began back. I started writing for News Refuse back in 2004, and after I'd written like my first or second commentary, I got a. I got a call from Greg Evenson just out of the blue. He didn't know, he didn't know me. I mean, he didn't know me, you know. And he called and said, hey, just appreciate your stuff and want you to know, uh, keep at it, and we need guys like you. And there was just an electricity that, that connected Greg and I from that point on. And so I, I knew Greg for probably eight, eight years just over the just over the internet, just over the phone. And uh, it, by the way, amazing with the internet, how far we've come, how much communication has changed. But one of the things that real, just showed me what was really the heart of Greg Evenson is, Steve, when you hosted Whitestone Conference, I don't even know if you, if you remember this or not, Steve. I, uh, I, I saw, like everybody else, I'm sitting out here in the hinterland and I'm watching uh, what you're putting on out there, and I said to my wife, "Man, we got to go to that thing." And so I, we, we got online, we booked us our, our tickets, and I called Greg Evenson and said, "Greg, man, I'm coming to Whitestone. I can't wait to come out there and hear what you're going to do." Because you know he was one of the original preppers. He sent me all types of stuff on how to prep, and he was he was always cutting edge. I guess if I could blame anybody for being a tinfoil hat guy today, it was probably Greg Evenson who opened my eyes up to some of these things that were going on. And so I called and said, "Greg." Greg, I'm going to see you in Whitestone. He says, oh, are you speaking? And I said, what? No. So I'm just coming. He said, oh, you just wait a minute. He said, I'll get a hold of Quail. And he calls me back about an hour later, and he said, I don't know what to do about it, but you, you're going to be out there. Well, we're, we're going to give you a chance to say something. They need to hear what you have to say. And uh, Steve contacted me. Steve put me up in, in there in, in the bed and breakfast with those guys. I was just overwhelmed to even be part of it. And Greg Evenson, those of you, you folks, you have to understand, those of us who do what we do, we when someone's about, somebody says you have 40 minutes, that's like 10 minutes. You've got a million things that you want to talk about, and you think, how am I going to cut this down to 40 minutes? Well, Greg Evenson, when his time comes to speak at Whitestone, and this thousand people have come to hear him, he gets about halfway through his speech, and he stops and says, hey, listen, I've got somebody else that you have to hear from, and he gave me... 40 minutes of his time. It was, I've never, in all my days, I had never, ever seen anything like that. And that was the heart of Greg Evenson to me, as he was, as an old football coach, Steve and, and Doug, it's about advancing the ball. It's about advancing the kingdom. It was never about Greg Evenson. It was about moving the ball across the goal line. And he was a big Green Bay Packers fan, and I would communicate with him back and forth when the pack, pack was going good. But I, I credit Greg Evenson today because of Whitestone, he opened up a broader opportunity for me to have greater impact in the lives of others. And of all the people that I've come across with, and many, many people, I've never seen a guy as big-hearted and as willing to do that 
as what Greg Evenson did. That's where I first met Steve Quayle. That's where I met Doug Hagman. That's where I met Russ Dizda. My whole life changed because Greg Evenson said, this guy's got something that needs to be heard and opened that door. So I, I, my, my wife and I, we've been, we were on vacation for five days and we heard about the death when we got back and we were crushed and, uh, we love Liz. He called her Betty. He called her a couple different names and just, uh, what, what it must be like. And Steve, I hear you that everything that he's done, he's been kind of the anti deep state, if we know what we're talking about. He's been warning us and telling us all these things are going on. And to think that even at this last, last minute, that deep state's fighting, fighting against Greg. He's probably smiling. That's one more, one more battle he gets to fight. But, uh, what a great guy he was. And folks, I would just tell you this. Those of us that you, that you know publicly but don't know personally, uh, Greg Evenson's in the top three, three guys that, that I've ever met in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer. Uh, CoachDaveLive.com, by the way, CoachDaveLive.com, and, and thank you, Coach. You know, uh, Greg Evenson has touched so many people as you have, Coach, and as Steve Quayle have. Yes, it's um, the door, man. That's what it's about. And God bless you, Steve. God bless you for all you do, man. You are out on the front line. You're taking the slings and the arrows, and you're paving the way for others who are coming behind you. And I would just say, no matter how dark it looks, folks, no matter how dark it looks out there, the Lord told us to occupy till He comes, and that's what our obligation was. Greg ran his race. He finished his course, and now he's he's passed that uh, he's passed that baton off to us. And uh, I'm. I'm just more committed than ever than do things that are going to glorify the Lord. So thank you for the five minutes you gave me. God bless you, Steve. God bless you, Doug, Jim, all the people there, Hagman and Hagman. Man, I don't know where it would be without you guys. God bless you all. God bless you, Dave Dubmar. Coach Dave Live. Uh, Steve, back to you, sir. Well, Dave, uh, forgive me. Thank you, Dave. And, Doug, well, one of the things I want to do right now is I want to pray for Liz Evenson. I want all you to agree. Most of you don't know this. While Greg was going through one of his 17 surgeries, Liz had a heart attack. And it's taken a toll on her. And, again, uh, I've been uh, just asking God to refresh her, restore her, renew her, lift her up, stand with her. But I want everyone to agree with me as I pray for her right now. And I, I really believe this is the purpose of the body. We ought to bear one another's burdens. And, you know, the thing is, Doug, I believe in prayer. I believe God answers the prayer of the saints. It was on your show that Pastor Langford and I, you gave us the opportunity for five weeks, I believe it was, to repent and call on God for his mercy. Most people forget that, and God knows we got mocked over it, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I believe we're experiencing some amazing acts of God in granting us a time out now in the exposing of evil. But that's for another time, another show. Let, let's just pray for Liz Evenson. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Liz. We thank you, Lord, for the stalwart support she has been for Greg all these years. God, all the things that Greg went through, she went through with him. Lord, even when he literally was gone one week before you took him home to be with you, Jesus, it was her breath that brought him back for that week. And God, only you know the purpose of that whole thing. But now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come against the powers of darkness that would seek to rob her of her joy, that would wear her down, wear her out. I ask that every lying, slanderous, provocative tongue that would uh, come against Greg, accusing uh, Greg to Liz and, and causing her more heartache, would be stopped, Jesus. Enough is enough. Father, 
You set the bounds of the sea. You set, Lord, the uh, stars in their their uh, journey through the sky. And now, Lord, I ask and declare in Jesus' name that enough is enough. Lord, expose this. I pray for a blessing, Lord, upon Liz that she will get that which other veterans' wives get. And I pray, Lord, that you will rise up to defend your servant. Lord, I understand that you do a better job than we can. But, Lord, thank you for letting us lift up your servant Greg's wife, Liz. And, Lord, I pray you'll get your people to stand up and never be ashamed of you, Jesus. And I put you in remembrance, Lord, according to your word, that, God, Greg never denied you before men. Lord, Liz has been a worshiper of you in spirit and in truth, Lord. She has spoken life into Greg. She has nurtured him. She's been with him through all of the tragedies and maladies that most people didn't even know he was fighting for his life almost on a daily basis, Lord, with everything he had to go through, all of his trips to the hospital, all, what, 16 surgeries, 17, Lord, with his broken hip. And now, Father, I pray the God of all peace, Lord, I speak peace to Liz. I speak the peace that only you can give, Lord. And, Lord, the world can't give her peace, even as much as her family loves her. They can't give her peace, and God, I'd give it to her. I can't give her peace, but God, that is the inheritance of the saints. Oh, Lord God of heaven, come from the four winds of the Spirit of God and breathe upon her, Lord. Breathe upon her, Lord. Enter in, and Lord, behold, you make all things new. And God, create in her a freshness, a newness, a strength. And Lord, I pray that you'll literally stand with your arm around your daughter, that Lord, as she has to, Lord, uh, do this, and I pray you'll be with her through the grieving process, God, and you'll grant her great grace in this, Father, in Jesus' name. And I, I am Absolutely bind in the name of Jesus every tail-bearing, lying spirit in Jesus' name. I come against every plot, plan, uh, plan scheme of the enemy to, to besmirch Greg in every way and every manner. And I pray, God, those who are the most troubled with you would grant peace. I pray if you have to visit them in a night and give them a dream, Lord, and relatives or former friends, that you will do that, Father, in Jesus' name. Behold, Lord, you are the resurrection. You are the life. You are the light. And I ask God, God, that you would rise and stand up in Liz and stand with her in a mighty way. And we just give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And Lord, may all of those who love Greg in the year that you took him home, Lord, to be with you, in the day, in the week, may we see the Lord. May we see you, Lord, high and lifted up as your presence fills the temple. And let the glory of Almighty God, Lord, rest upon your daughter, Liz. Let the glory of Almighty God be seen in that service. And I ask that you touch, Lord, again. Just anoint the life and ministry of your servant, Greg. And, Lord, I pray for a refreshing that will come into Liz Evenson's life. Lord, your word says weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Thank you, Jesus. And we just agree in this. In the mighty Amen. name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. What a what a what a beautiful prayer! And you know, I feel that's that uh, Greg is still fighting, still fighting on a different plane, on a different level, and uh, we're he's right 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 here with us. Uh, you know, it's um, an amazing man. He's an amazing man. Hmm. Well, 
again, Doug, you know, thanks for all the years you let us come on. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you, those of you who pray for Doug, those of you who pray financially support him. Because, look, what's interesting is when God calls somebody to do something and he calls them out of such a different, uh, uh, well, would you say lifestyle business? Not lifestyle so much, but a business uh, or even a vocation. You know God's got his hand on somebody's life when they do that. So I just want to thank everybody. And, you know, Doug, it's true. You know, I'm better friends with people that I've met through your show. You know, now some of them I met in person. Obviously, I had the blessing of meeting Greg. But Greg and I became wonderful friends, wonderful friends. That's not me trying to take on myself, some friendship. But, again, like I said, and, and you know, here's the thing. This, these are the last words left on my answering machine. Some of them I'm not going to read because they pertain to my relationship with Greg and, and, and nothing that's, you know, that can't be stated. But, Steve, it's Greg. How much I appreciate and love you for all your efforts for me. Thanks for all you have done. God bless, Steve Quayle. God bless in Jesus, Greg. And he said, in the wonderful name of Jesus. And then when we talked on the phone the last time I ever spoke to him in this world, he said, tell those who have prayed for me and tell them how much I love them and appreciate. He was a man kept alive by the love and prayers of others. And look. There are so few people like that, Doug. I can tell you this. On my hand, I can count five people that have made the impression on my life that Greg has. Five. Five. Yes. And I know a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And and that, that relationship, the basis for the relationship you talked about is so important. And, and, you know, I thank God every day for the relationships that we have. Um, you know, yours and mine, and all of the people that 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 God has put into our lives, it's an amazing thing to see. Um, you know, as you as you uh, as you have always said, God puts uh, God makes better friends for us than than we do, and you know, He puts people in our lives and He takes people out of our lives for a purpose. So, very well said. Amen. And again, Doug, uh, you know, the funeral arrangements are on my website, Greg's Funeral Services. It's at in the Iron Mountain. I believe viewing is at 315 to 345, and it's all on that. And also, please, once again, and this is the last time I'll say this, please, those of you who loved him and want to give to a living legacy, just email me and uh, saying uh, in the subject matter, Greg's Legacy, and I'll give you the address and the PayPal address to send it, and it's going to the woman that uh, did such a beautiful job to maintain it, because, listen, as the God of all grace has given me, and and I believe uh, the the platform that I have, I will not uh, allow the ministry that uh, this man of God had, Greg Evenson, to fall on uh, any soil outside that which the Lord has prepared. And again, I will make this statement. I said to Liz, and I and it, I think it's in uh, uh, the, the tribute. Now, I'll post 
on the, the uh, I'll post it, my uh, seven minutes. And I felt the Lord said, do seven minutes, Steve. And seven is God's number. I'm not going to argue with anybody on that. It's just go look up how many times seven or 70 or 70 at the peers in the Old New Testament. I think the case can be made. But the idea is simply this. His living legacy, the anointing, the power, the encouragement, and the teaching, and the provocation not to be afraid is so great. The righteous are as bold as lions. And I believe there's a prophecy out there by, and I, I listen, I'm tired of all these people saying, I don't believe God speaks in prophecies. He only spoke once. Oh, yeah? Well, that isn't even scriptural because it gets the Holy Spirit. Don't end because the uh, disciples all have passed on. God gave good gifts to men. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And Greg was one of those people to grab hold of the future and to warn people. Only God can declare the uh, ending from the beginning, and I think it's a privilege. Please read the obituary, because a lot of you don't understand. Greg absolutely was probably, his bona fides are just even in the singing and worshiping realm. He, I, I tell people, he has a gorgeous voice. Notice what I'm saying, has a gorgeous voice. His voice and the anointing does not cease since he's gone to be with the Lord. Doug, just thank you so much for tonight, and, and I just thank all of you, especially those of you who have been genuine in, in your encouragement for Liz. Uh, you send them to me if you want to put in the, the subject line. Uh, Greg, I forward them on to Liz Evenson. And again, please, everyone, keep her in prayer. Doug, good night, sir, and God bless you, and God bless each and every one of you that has been faithful in supporting the Hagmans, that have been faithful in praying for my protection and my family protection. I do not take it for granted for one second, any day. Steve, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, Liz is in our prayers. We will lift her up in prayer as we will lift you up in prayer as well. Thank you for being our friend, our brother, and um, just God bless you. Thank you. Well, blessings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go tell his disciples, everybody, and the people you know. He is risen, and he's coming back again as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Bye-bye. That was Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com. And, well, enough said. There's not much more that could be said. Um, Greg Evenson was, was, is... Uh, a tremendous man and, and we'll made a wonderful time. impression on us. Uh, I'll tell uh, just a little bit about my story the first time I met Greg in Montana and how uh, you know, he basically brought tears to my eyes during his speech a number of times <laughs> and it was really great. But we'll be right back with Tracy Beans after this. Welcome back to this February 1st edition of the Hagman Report, first day of February 2018. Memo released tomorrow. A lot of news. Please keep uh, uh, watch HagmanReport.com. Also, some video reports will be uploaded, not live streamed, but uploaded to our YouTube channel. I just did one, of course, about the Awan Cabal. Okay, so um, now tonight we are 
uh, live streaming video via Global Star Radio Network, Satellite Radio. Thank you, Global Star. Uh, we're having a little bit of issues. A lot of bandwidth is getting sucked out. And uh, so hopefully that'll we can keep things rocking and rolling there. Uh, before we bring on Tracy Beans, we have L.A. Marzulli checking in with us. Let's go right to L.A. L.A. Marzulli. Oh, we don't have him yet. All don't right. have him yet. Definitely got him. All right. So, yeah. Uh, so he's going to be checking in with us, and then Tracy Beans will be uh, coming on after L.A., and then, of course, to uh, round out the last hour, Peter Chalka going to be uh, spending the time with us. But, again, for memo tomorrow. Go for ahead. For L.A., yeah. We know the memo is going to drop tomorrow, and there are there's an interesting report that CNN put out that I don't really believe. I, I don't know what they're attempting here. Maybe it's to it's try the, to, to force the president or show the president not to have the president not release the memo. White House worried FBI director could quit over Nunez's memo release. I can't think of anything better. <laughs> I know. And in the article, though, you know, this is the way all these uh, you know Mueller stories go and Trump Russia stories. Uh, sources with uh, multiple sources with knowledge of the, but brother, the situation, aides uh, close to the White House or White House aides. Look, it's up to the House. To, it's up to the House to release. It's it's up to the House to release the document. It's up to the President to stop it. Bottom line, it's the House deal. Right, and the President doesn't do anything. It will be released right. on Monday, but I believe that uh, it's, it's scheduled it's to be tomorrow. tomorrow morning. And everybody on the left in the media and and in the political world. They, they seem to be genuinely worried about this, so we'll continue to cover it. We have with us L.A. Marzuli. L.A., welcome back to the show. Uh, hold on a second, L.A. Uh, again, we are, um, as people know, we have been prohibited from live streaming we're not on YouTube. Ones. Right, we're not the only ones. Uh, so we are... Uh, okay, I'm getting things in my ear. Um at any rate, uh, so we are live streaming uh, through, through the graciousness of Global Star Radio Network, and the bandwidth is so high that we're crashing servers left and right. All right, so you just have to bear with us as we work through this. Okay, we have L.A. with us. L.A., thanks for uh, joining us tonight. All right, he just... <laughs> he just dropped off, Eric the Tech. He just as soon as as soon as I said that, he dropped off. But Joe, you were meant, it, it, look. Um, it, it, pay very close attention because we are watching right now the uh, the hot war. Remember on Monday, I said Monday morning on my show, this is going to be, all hell is going to be breaking loose this week, and it is. And yeah. this memo is part of it. Um, so many things. When when this hit when the, I mean the fit is going to hit the shan tomorrow tomorrow it as that memo is released. All right, and uh, you know, uh, update White House snubs deep state. They will release the memo without redactions. That from there it is. Breitbart. Eric Holder panics over FISA abuse memo. Trashes trashes Chairman Nunez in unhinged Twitter storm. Also Nancy Pelosi called for uh, Nunez to step down from the House Intelligence Committee or to be removed by Paul Ryan, which is pretty interesting. And also, people have been going back and looking through old testimony and claims, one specifically by James Clapper, who said back in March while he was being interviewed that he had no knowledge of any uh, FISA warrants being issued none that he's aware of, those were his words, in an attempt by the DOJ or FBI to gain FISA 
authorized approval for surveillance on Trump. That's what he said. <laughs> well, just a few days ago. Clapper lied, Comey lied, yeah, Rosenstein lied. They all lied. It came out just a few days ago that uh, Clapper was fully aware in an interview he gave, gave with Jake Tapper, he switched uh, basically his story and is saying that, yes, uh, on yesterday, March 3rd, January 31st, as Clapper understands it, the Clinton Steele dossier was used by the FBI for a reauthorization of a FISA warrant. It wasn't for an original FISA warrant. It was for a reauthorization. They have time limits, about 90-day time limit. So it appears that there was a FISA warrant issued in June of 2016, and then what he's referring to is in October when there was the, the warrant expired, and they used the dossier to get an extension on that warrant. Which was unvetted. That's, that's, that's right. Did, so, did, that, yes, yes. And, and that, that was 99% of that, of the uh, FISA uh, warrant application. And remember, uh, Rudolph Contreras, the uh, FISA court judge who, who recused him, or was recused in the middle of the Flynn deal, the Flynn sentencing postponed. Things are falling apart for the deep state. We do have L.A. Marzulli back. Let's uh, connect right to him. L.A. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Sure. Well, we we appreciate you working through the bugs that we have here. Uh, um, I just want to address the whole memo thing. It's just amazing how all this is coming down. And I want to thank you for um, all the great work you've done with Corsi, uh, Dr. Corsi, and and others who have. Um, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing that it's it's finally starting to unravel. We'll see what the memo says tomorrow. But, um, you know, I was looking at QAnon today and some other sites, and it's just, I mean, this, this, the implications could be staggering. It could go into, as you know, MS-13. It could go into uh, what happened at, at, at Vegas with the Vegas shooter and Paddock, the pedo gate. I mean, it's just, it, it's really starting to unravel. And the fact that, that Nancy Pelosi and others uh, are just absolutely at their wit's end, what is so damning about this memo that these guys are backpedaling, you know, like rats from a, a sinking ship to mix metaphors here. But um, it's just incredible. And I, I just hope that the memo is released tomorrow and that the American people can see what's really going on behind closed doors. President Trump was threatened yesterday, uh, kind of in a backhanded sort of way. Five, yeah. five officials from the FBI went to uh, his chief of staff and said things must be changed, don't release it. And people need to understand how serious this is. It is. I mean, it, in my opinion, it's a complete breach of protocol. Um, the fact that the FBI would, you know, try a couple of people up in, in, into the into the White House to try to uh, uh, twist the arm or strong arm. I mean, who knows what really was said. Um, this is this is the deep state being unveiled. And uh, thank God for, for your program. And, and Dr. Corsi and others, QAnon, uh, uh, Julian Assange, I'm, these people are patriots. That's what they are. And, it, and it's time for the American people to take back our country. It's, it's a government by the people and for the people, not run by the deep state. And according to what I've read, some of the implications may go into the Obama White House right to his right to the Oval Office. Amen. They, 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 they do. L.A., I, I can guarantee you, uh, through the presidential daily briefings, Obama knew about the spying, the FISA abuses, because not only Obama, but uh, everyone who touched the PD, uh, PDBs, 
presidential daily briefings from Susan Rice to Valerie Jarrett, but Obama, it all roads lead, lead to Obama. People under, have to understand this is Obamagate as much as it is um, Hillary Clinton Gate and FBI and DOJ injustices. Yeah, and and this is, uh, you know, people talk about Watergate and 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 Nixon. This Nixon unfortunately doesn't hold a candle um, if all this begins to break and we actually start to see what's happening. And it's interesting how. Our president, the Donald, Donald, uh, you know, J. Trump has been talking about the human trafficking, uh, and MS-13. It's, it's all linked together. It's all linked together. And I just pray to God that, uh, the powers that be that are in control of this are, are cut off at the knees, literally. And they are exposed for who they are and what they are. Because it's, it's just, it's just incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, and you know this. Uh, as we've been saying, this is just, just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see, as you said, LA, a lot more stem from this, and I think it's going to open up a lot more avenues that we are going to want to pursue. But definitely, there is a panic out there, and it is uh, th- these people are scrambling, trying to muddy the waters and discredit the memo and the contents of the memo by you know issu- it saying there's alternative memos and Democratic memos and FBI memos and. That it's not going to work. I think the American people at large understand what's at stake, and they want to see how the Clinton cabal and the law enforcement agencies inside our government subverted the president and and tried to basically get him unseated. So it'll be very interesting in the coming weeks and months. Extremely interesting, yes. So you have uh, uh, a new project, L.A., the, the Fatima? 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 Yeah, that's that's Fatima too, but that's not going to be out till probably end of April, early May. Okay, and I know you're coming back on to talk about. I think you're coming on to talk about that next Monday. Um, that that could be great. I, I would love to. Um, I think what, I, what I'll be talking about next Monday is, you know, this is a, a sort of a cameo tonight, and I really thank you for putting me in. But um, we are down at LAX at the Marriott Hotel here. Um, we have flown in our team of eight people, including myself, and we'll be presenting tomorrow between 1 and 5 o'clock the DNA evidence and the morphological, the structural evidence of the very enigmatic Paracas elongated skulls. And live streaming is available by going to lamarzulli.net, lamarzulli.net. You can sign up for the live streaming. That will be good for at least two or three weeks. We'll have it up there so you can watch it at your leisure. But tomorrow... Eight people, eight of us will be presenting here at the Marriott. The room is sold out, uh, standing room only. Uh, the press now is beginning to cover it. We've, we've heard that um, some, some major news networks, we'll see if they show, are, are covering it because this is groundbreaking news. It's not conclusive in any way. We're not saying that these elongated skulls are of a Nephilim. Uh, this is strictly we're releasing the data that we have, which points back to the veracity and the validity of our hypotheses, which is this, that 3,500 years ago when Joshua and Caleb uh, prosecuted the war in what is known as the Levant, the land of Canaan, the promised land, these tribes that were there, we believe, fled. And they may have what we believe is a trans-Atlantic migration. And this goes against the prevailing paradigm, and we understand all that. But the DNA evidence is pointing to the veracity of this, the fact that the, the haploid groups, the mitochondrial DNA, um, points back to a Middle Eastern or European origin. Not only that, we've got morphological differences in the skulls, structural differences in the skulls. Henrik Woodward and Dr. Alde and Dr. Malcolm Warren 
We'll be talking about these differences tomorrow. Uh, this is why we feel it's groundbreaking. It, it's not, it's not conclusive. We have no idea who these people really were. And, and I, I want to stress again, I'm not saying that they're Nephilim. My gut tells me that there may be, but it's way too early to, to conclude that. We do not have nuclear DNA. We've never been able to extract that elusive nuclear DNA, which comes from the paternal side of the equation. We do, however, have 58 samples that we tested, all with the uh, under the aegis of the uh, the Peruvian government, specifically the Minister of Culture. All the paperwork is stamped. I mean, we work with archaeologists down there. We took samples from the Ica Museum, from the Paracas Museum. All that's going to be revealed tomorrow. And uh, the reason why we're doing it is we feel it's time to reveal the data. And we know it's going to be controversial. The academics and scientific community will immediately shout contamination. Well, how many samples do we need to do and process with, with the most stringent of protocols, which we adhere to, that we were told to, and, and schooled in from the Paleo DNA Lab up in Canada? How many samples do we have to do and test before the ac- academics and the scientific community will kind of go, maybe we should be looking at this? And that's all we're saying. When you, it's a one-two punch. When you look at the DNA evidence combined with the morphological structural differences of the skulls, we're on to something here. Something is going on. This is not cradle headboarding. Cradle headboarding exists. We understand that. This is something completely different. And uh, the live streaming is available tomorrow from 1 to 5. And, you know, it sounds like I'm – look, guys, we spent upwards of – uh, $150,000 to get to this point. We've got a donor, a couple, um, who graciously donated this kind of funding to us because I don't have it. Other people, you know, donated $20 bills and we thank them too. But the, the bulk of the money came from this one couple who wishes to remain anonymous. We just call them the G's and, and that's it. And without them, we never would have gotten to this point. So all this is tomorrow when you purchase the live streaming, your $9.99 will go back into our fund to continue the research. Okay. And, and again, folks, uh, no, no, this is fabulous. This is a DNA uh, conference, uh, DNA press conference, basically, from 1 to 5 p.m. Pacific time. You do the math for your own time zone, 1 to 5 Pacific time, live streaming tomorrow, February 2nd, 2018. You register at uh, net. The link is there, that is, and that will take you to the live streaming page. And there you can take a look at the symposium members that will be uh, addressing during this live streaming. And uh, it's nine ninety nine. This is fantastic. Uh, hey, uh, now will this be will this be um, um, just the four hour period, or will this be like looped? I don't know what the word would be. Yeah, it it, it will be looped. In other words, it'll be available for at least two to three weeks after the okay. fact. So if people are at work and they can't see it or whatever, you know, sign up for a live streaming and watch it at your leisure as many times as you want to. Fantastic. We are going to, the studio here is going to um, uh, sign up for this because very interested in this. And, and are all of the individuals named on that page, Dr. For, or Brian Forrester to Rick Woodward to Dr. Malcolm Warren? Everybody, everybody is there. Everyone will be presenting. Marcia Moore brings these uh, very enigmatic, mysterious skulls to life with her 3D forensic uh, artistry, which is incredible. Chase Klotsky will be presenting. Richard Shaw, uh, the director and filmmaker of the Watcher series, uh, assembled a six-minute compilation of our of our journeys down there. 
Obviously, Mondo Gonzalez is presenting with DNA evidence. Brian Forrest is giving us an overview of the Paraca skulls. So um, I don't think I left anybody out. Chase Klosky was our forensic field expert. She talks about the exhausting protocols that we put in place to make sure that contamination, uh, you know, that the samples were not contaminated. So it's um, we're really excited about it. And uh, that's tomorrow from 1 to 5 Pacific Standard Time. And go to the live streaming, lamarzuli.net. Sign up for it. Groundbreaking stuff. You're, 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 um, but, but physically, you're sold out, right? Completely sold out, All right. yes. All right. So, so the live streaming is the only way to, to, to get this. Uh, folks, it's, it's in the program. It will be in the program description on this show. But go to lamarzuli.net, click on the link. Uh, the live streaming DNA press conference tomorrow, 1 to 5. Pacific time, you do the math for your own time zone. It's going to be a fantastic uh, four-hour uh, presentation. I'm looking forward to it, and of course that that'll give you that 9.99. I'll give you uh, time to to soak that in, watch as many times as you would like. Fantastic, thank you, and we look forward to your appearance next week. We can talk further on this and other matters. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. Thanks, man. Bye bye. La Marzuli, uh, always a favorite. You know, La. But uh, again, tomorrow, one to five, live streaming. Download um, or, or register, and then watch it at your leisure uh, this weekend. Hey, when the snow's up to your, you know, eyeballs, or it's cold out, windy out, you want to hey, nine ninety nine. You can't beat that. Plus, you can watch it as many times as you'd like. The names are incredible stuff. We have now with us uh, Tracy Beans. Uh, I, she's I keep under the weather. I, and, yeah. And, and she still agreed to come on today, which uh it's fabulous. when you're not feeling good, the doing radio is not really a priority. Well, it makes it all the more difficult. I, I got to tell you, I've been mentioning uh Tracy in my morning show. We've been mentioning uh, Tracy in this show. She has done some absolutely marvelous investigative work. Guccivar 2.0. You gotta, you've got to really understand what's going on there. Uh, Michael Horowitz, the OIG, and other videos. Tracy Beans, welcome. You guys are so cool. I love you. You're great. Well, I'm okay. You guys are worth it to sit here and, and do this with the flu. It's fine. Trust me. It's <laughs> well, we, uh, thanks for your gracious gift of time. There is so much to get into. Tracy, you tell us where you'd like to begin because we, we, there's so much going on. I know, I know. Let's, let's start, let's start and we'll, we'll, we'll work on this memo for a little while and clear some stuff up and go through some of the, some of the nonsense that's going on. And before we go on, um, my, my deepest condolences for the loss of your friend, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so this memo, what a, what a, what a, Looney bin, it's been about this memo. What do you, <laughs> I'd like to get your perspective first on what you guys have seen and heard and then we can take it from there. Well, we've seen a whole lot. Uh, you know, the talking about the Democratic memo for one, uh, we'll start there as we have learned that Adam Schiff is, is, uh, you know, so upset that, and many others, that the Democratic memo wasn't released, but we learned that Schiff never even, uh, allowed it to go to the committee who was supposed to vote on it being public. That's why it wasn't made public because the committee members were not supplied with the Democratic memo. Now we have CNN reporting that Christopher Ray might step down or quit if the memo is released, which I think is a fabricated report from CNN. Then you have the media and others trying to muddy the waters, uh, and we have two 
real uh, storylines here with the memo. One, they're saying it is a lie and it's fabricated. And another angle is they're saying it jeopardizes national security. It does well, need, it does which none of it. Is it? It can't be both. And I believe that they are very concerned about the contents of the memo. We see people like Eric Holder, Nancy Pelosi, and so many others coming out and, and uh, the you know, pillars calling, of integrity. Right. It, the, before the memo even drops, before the contents are even seen by any of these people, they're trying to discredit, discredit it. And I don't think it's well, going to work. The American people are too uh, locked into this one. Yeah, and I think it's the subsection of the American people that enjoyed the State of the Union, which was most of America. So I think those are the people that are really looking to read it, and it goes to show you how they try to make the minority look like the majority. It's it's just what they do. They they take the fringe and they try and magnify them and then make everyone else feel like they're crazy for sharing the beliefs that most people share. I think it's really funny that the frantic craziness we've seen over a memo that's supposedly not even important. Um, the back and forth... The, oh, they're going to redact it. They're not going to redact it. They're going to release it. They're not going to release it. It'll be today. It'll be tomorrow. There's nothing in here. They wouldn't let us show our memo. You know, it's like the health care bill. Yeah. We've got to pass it to see what's in it. Like, like and, they would have, they have to be crazy to vote to, to, you know, to vote on that and, and not read it with those shisty shift for brains yeah. people over there. And Tracy, look, you know, it, it should tell us everything we need to know. If it really was was a lie and it's fabricated and it's not important and the contents aren't important, then why are all these people, uh, you know, coming out on CNN and MSNBC and ABC and CBS put, to put it down? If if it mm-hmm. wasn't an issue, if it wasn't important, why even bother talking about it? Just let it speak for itself. The people would figure it out. But no, we have to have this massive propaganda campaign in order to try to take as many people's attention away from it and delegitimize it as as much as possible before it is released. Now, my question is, when it is released, do you believe that it will just be uh, made public? Do you think there will be press conference about it uh, and and an explanation either from the president or uh, someone else? How do you think this is going to go? My gut is that they'll just drop it on the Internet. Nunez or Gates or somebody will just tweet it out or release it. Um, or give it to media. Um, a couple of interesting points, though, <clears throat> one of which is I think Julian Assange really encapsulated it before. He tweeted out, he said, I find it remarkable how comprehensively the Democrats, DOJ, and FBI have played into Trump's hands over the Nunez memo by conspicuously trying to hide information. They've aligned themselves against the public, drawn suspicion, and imbued the memo with totemic power. Hmm. So... They, 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 they basically gave the memo all the power they didn't want it to have by their yeah. craziness. It's true. And something interesting I, I, re- I reported on earlier, a lot of good people on Twitter were doing this work, including myself yesterday. It was interesting because the reporters came out with that, you know, story basically saying that the FBI says they're serious inconsistencies and, and mistruths inside the memo. It's not legitimate and, you know, they don't stand by it. There, there are errors. And a bunch of like, you know, mainstream reporters came out with it. And immediately we saw, and they, you know, it wasn't, it didn't look legitimate. It didn't look, it wasn't from the FBI. It wasn't from, uh, you know, they, they refused to share an email address. They refused to, to pin it on anybody. It was like one of those unknown source type deals. They refused to attribute it to anybody. They, they refused to do it. And we're like, well, it didn't come from the FBI website. 
And you guys won't tell us who it's from. You guys are peddling fake news to try and get everybody to think that this memo isn't legit and that there are mistakes in there. And sure enough, right before close of business at 4.30-ish, the statement appears on the FBI website. But when you looked into the HTML behind the website, you could see that the FBI released it so forward-facing, it appeared as though they had put this statement up as they had given the information to the reporters, who apparently have a secret email list that they're on, that they get stuff from the FBI, and <laughs> the FBI sends them. You know what I mean? It's, it's just ridiculous. So they forward-facing made it look like... Um, they had put the statement up at the same time as they had sent this stuff out to the reporter. So it would have been six hours earlier. But in actuality, they had just put that statement up. So they were trying to trick the public into thinking that it was up there all, the whole time. But you can see in the code that that wasn't the case. So that was a really interesting thing that I don't think they assumed we'd find. I don't know what's up with Ray. I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I would think that he would come out and, and be a little more forceful about what's going on in terms of the quote officials speaking out against this memo unless he's just giving them enough rope to hang themselves which could be true but do you the reports that he might step down if it's released i haven't read any of those reports i i don't think so i don't think he will um you know he was also going to step down if they wouldn't w- with mccabe so we see where that's going i mean it's just it's like a, a whirlwind of disinformation from these people. And I don't know if they trust their sources or if they're making the decisions to purposefully put out disinformation or if it's a combination of both. I'm not sure. But it's pretty bad. It, it, it is bad. I, I think people, the important takeaway here, Tracy, in, from my my perspective, just to kind of uh, tick off the list, if you will, number one, the uh, four-page memo is really an executive summary that is based on, obviously, um, the interviews conducted by the House Select Committee on Intelligence, as well as the information collected from numerous, about tens of thousands of documents, and um, uh, included in that at the periphery would be the Horowitz, uh, uh, well, the, the FISA uh, I, I like to call it the 99-page FISA audit, so, so, so some of that is in there. But this is just the, the beginning. Mm-hmm. This is just the tip, and it does name names. And I, people need to pay attention to Fusion GPS. You did a wonderful job. Uh, I, I don't really recall which video it was, but uh, if, if Fusion GPS... Uh, you've got uh, Glenn Simpson, uh, Peter Fritsch, and Thomas Catan, and of course Fusion GPS. Glenn Simpson's wife, Mary Jacoby. Pay attention to the dates. Pay attention to the people. And then of course Bruce Orr, Nellie Orr, uh, from the Department of Justice, uh, hooking up with Fusion GPS. Follow the money. You're going to find the money goes from Hillary, DNC, Fusion GPS, Perkins Coy, um, to uh, or Perkins Coy. Fusion GPS to steal to to others, uh, and and, and the, the, this is the weaponization of our intelligence agencies, but also paying for it by the opposition, and this leads right back to Obama as well. The names are important. People are luring up, getting lawyers. There will be criminal charges, I believe, based on this and based on the underlying documents, which will be subsequently released. So I, I needed to get that out. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. Actually, um, that you mentioned that video, it was the one that I did on the letter that Grassley had sent. That's to, right. 
Yeah, and there were like a list of names in there that he wanted. It was to the DNC and to um, Perkins Coy. And what he's asking for is all communications and a bunch of other stuff between, you know, Fusion GPS and and them, um, and the list and all the people on the list. And I found it interesting that the head of the um, was it the DNC stepped down after just a year on the job. Not the not the chair. The CEO. But the CEO, yeah. right. Yep. She just stepped out. She's probably like, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be a part of any <laughs> of this noise. I didn't sign up for this nonsense. Because you inherit the problems that came before. You know, you have to deal with them. Look at what Ray has to deal with coming into the FBI. So um one of the people on that list that I had researched in that video, really I wanted to get your opinion on this. It was um Jason Felch. Now, I don't know, he I'd never heard that name before, but he was a reporter. He was with the LA Times. He had sort of a scandal. He what he specializes in is um basically money laundering and the trafficking of art and artifacts. That's what he does. That's what he does. He has his own blog and that's what he focuses on. Why is he involved in all this? Yeah. Um Okay, now you're talking about the L.A. Times, yes. the previous L.A. Times, and, and trafficking culture, the investigative mm-hmm. reporter, co-author. Uh, of, okay, very interesting set of connections at the periphery of of this. I'm almost hesitant, hesitant to really bring in the uh, people at the periphery on this, um, because I, I, I do have a feeling that some roads are going to lead down to, um, and, and circle back to, for example, uh, President Donald Trump's executive order or, and, mm-hmm. and text to Congress, okay, about the civil asset forfeiture. Because I think that, oh, man, that, that, that December 21st civil asset forfeiture notice that, uh, extends beyond the, the 13 named annex, um, in, I, I, I think that that kind of sets the stage or the foundation for what we're seeing with respect to this particular uh, four-page FISA memo. It, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to make sense. a mountain. Out, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill on it, but I'm just thinking like my my brain is going here, right? Like, are they are they? Is there a possibility that they're paying via, you know, these artifacts are they laundering money through art i i did a bunch of stories on some stuff in, regarding art absolutely you know, yeah well, you i just mean, said so- tracy the money laundering uh, paul joseph watson and others have done reporting on this and the outrageous prices that some art is worth you know uh, just garbage art being mm-hmm. made worth hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars is the perfect environment for money laundering and other financial crimes yeah, I mean, I, I I did a lot of work on that latest painting that that sold for like you know five hundred million dollars. But I, you know, so there was that in there, and the other thing in there that really kind of struck me as interesting was Sidney Blumenthal's in there. And I'm thinking to myself because I wasn't as familiar with the second dossier until just recently, as we know. Um, and I start, you know, I know Sidney Blumenthal, I know his relationship to Clinton, I know all that. But now I know that the, the supposed author of the second dossier that supposedly mirrored Christopher Steele's dossier that now they're using to kind of bolster again, you know, it was, the dossier was important, then it wasn't, then it was just about Carter Page, then it was just about Papadopoulos, then it was, you know, they can't get their story straight. So now they parade out the second dossier 
written by um, a gentleman who is tied very closely to Sidney Blumenthal. And I see that Sidney Blumenthal's on this list. So they're on top of this, guys. Even though it may, you know, some people doubt it, looking into the connections, reading these letters and, and picking the people out, they're totally on top of this story. And it's a, I saw that when that first, that story first popped, the uh, second dossier, I, I, I read that article. And if I remember correctly, it talked about it was basically just an extension of the Steele dossier as it used some of the same unverified claims and then basically expanded on those with no new verifiable or credible information in it. So, And the, 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 this does go back to the uh, Cody Shearer. This all connects to the Clinton the dirty past. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> It's mind blowing, and, and and I I think I think some of this, as Joe mentioned, this could muddy the waters uh, far beyond the intent of the initial um, release of the FISA uh, four page executive summary. However, uh, a lot of this is blowback. A lot of this is if this didn't work, if Plan A didn't work, Plan B, we'll use Plan B, and um, I think that's what we're seeing. You know, and and. Yeah. It, a fight to the death, basically. The snowball is about to start down the mountain. Is basically what's going to happen. They know that once this once this memo is uncovered, the not only are the people going to be enraged, but it's really going to open the door. I think that there's going to be those people that really are just cognitive dissonance is just going to keep them where they're at, and they're going to think, you know, like somebody tweeted earlier, oh, talking about transparency, can we see Trump's taxes? I mean, if you put the two next to one another. Um, complete and total tyrannical control of the government, unconstitutional tyrants usurping the will of the people in the United States of America, or how much money did Donald Trump pay on his taxes? I mean, where's the scale on that one? It's, it's, there are going to be those people. They're just not going to get it. They're not going to get it no matter what. And that's why this whole, you know, narrative was trotted out in front of everybody. But I do think that there are a lot of people that are on the fence right now that are starting to say, hold on a second. Look at the, like, you know, look at them freaking out. What is in this thing? And those people are going to get on the bandwagon of transparency. And I thought it was really interesting that the, um, the OIG put out a response. Um, in regards to, I think it was in regards to this memo saying that their IG report will be made publicly available for everybody to read. And I'm like, are we entering into an era where we actually can maybe see some stuff and hold our government accountable? Like, is that really happening now? Like, are we really going to get to read this stuff for once? I think it is. I, I think so. I think you're right. Now, there's always going to be people who are going to be demanding justice uh, right away and, and disgusted when it never happens. And, and some of those, look, I understand that sentiment, but I also believe that um, this due process, which we're seeing unfold right now, is going to take some time. This didn't happen in 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 12 months. This took this was going on for decades. Now it is coming out. So we have to expect that yes justice will be served. Yes, not as quickly as we want it to be. But you Tracy are exactly correct. This this will expose many of the evil doers. The uh, uh especially the the mid-level people. I don't want to say low-hanging fruit, but the mid-level people, they'll expose them to the criminal charges. I, I would expect to see criminal charges being filed against people such as, and listen to me carefully, I'm saying people such as, 
McCabe, uh, Rosenstein, Strzok, even perhaps Page, um, and others who conspired to subvert justice. And, and, and this has, as I've often said, this was not just to take down um, and neutralize a political campaign and a presidency. This is, for all the marvels, this is going after our constitutional republic yes. and our way, way of life. <clears throat> That's the one thing I think that frustrates me about how some some in the mainstream that are reporting on this are reporting on it. They're making it like Trump centric. It's so much bigger than that. I completely agree with you. This is not, you know, this is an outsider. It could have been anybody came in and threatened their stranglehold and their plan, um, which was close to completion. We've been squawking about it for decades. Um, and, and they 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 were operating lawlessly for so long, they needed to just put that final nail and this screwed it up and they were not going to have it. But they, they couldn't, they couldn't rig this one. There were too many good people that saw the writing on the wall and stopped that from happening. So I, I agree. It's so much bigger than just, oh, they spied on Trump. They spied, they've been spying on Trump since the Montgomery days. Um, you know, there's so much more out there. It's 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 going to take a decade or more to to really fix this if we can do it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, will. And um, you know, it's amazing. We we were talking about this earlier. If you look back to a year and a half ago, to right around the days before the election, the uh, having Hillary Clinton, the possibility that she would be president, and everything that Trump was up against, from Hillary uh, stealing the primary away from Bernie Sanders to her taking over the DNC and the DNC uh, national and at a state level financially, s- siphoning in all the donations from f- all the 50 states' uh, DNC funds, and then all the uh, the law enforcement agencies, the other Obama administration agencies, and the administration themselves were against Trump spying. They, uh, obviously, you don't think in real time they weren't looking to see what he was talking about, who he was talking to, trying to get ahead of his arguments, trying to you know, uh, use that information in a number of ways, not just to yeah. to set up an investigation, but also to also to undermine his campaign. And yep. even facing all that and all of the media and every Hollywood, everybody else on Hillary Clinton's side, a hundred percent chance she's going to win. Trump can't win. On and on and on, and he wins. If he doesn't win, imagine where we are today. We don't know any of this, but he promised to drain the swamp. And whether he's doing it. Uh, on purpose or these people have been destroying themselves or it's a little bit of both. It is happening and it's, it's coming to fruition. So we should all be very grateful where we are today. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny. Like I, I try to stress that too. They, they were probably using this information to try and help Hillary stay one step ahead of what his messaging was. But the thing that they didn't realize about Donald Trump is that he doesn't use email. Interesting. I didn't know that. No, he doesn't use it. He does everything. With his Twitter use, he he would uh, you know be very familiar and use email, but he he doesn't use email. Yeah, so he said it a couple times. I don't use email, almost like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton didn't use email either. Remember, but yet he emailed Hillary Clinton. Um, (laughs) And and, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Just real quick, one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton was not indicted, why why uh, it was because Hillary Clinton from foreign soil, and a lot of people don't realize this, using her private server, emailed Barack Obama. This Mm -hmm. and Barack Obama knew that she had a private server. He did not learn about this uh, via the press like he said he did. So he's lying, and if they were going to take down Hillary, Obama would be in the crosshairs as well, legally speaking. 
they don't care about Hillary Clinton. I'm sure they, that most of them hate her. I'm sure of it. You know, they don't care about her. They'd throw her under the bus for those emails faster than you could blink. Look at what it would make go away. But they can't do it because she's tied at the hip to Obama, and she did it on purpose. She's not a stupid woman. She did that on purpose. She emailed him on purpose. He had a, pr a private email as well. He also had a private email. So he's going down with that ship, too. So that's why they've worked so hard. I mean, they've almost elevated Obama to some kind of godlike status um, in front of pe the people, anyway. They think he could do no wrong. He's just this... It's really sad. It, it's it's crazy. And, and the crimes, I mean, huh. we talk about this so much. It's almost like it's the same thing every time, but it's so outrageous. I can't I can't even put it into words. Just like researching some of this stuff doesn't. You know what the worst part of it is, is that after you're doing this for so many hours every day, you start to like, oh, it's just a little, you know, it's just that's that's nothing like you have to keep reminding yourself like. These are big crimes, as many of them as there are, that you can kind of get numb to it. But there's so many crimes, felonies, yeah. treason, treason. Well, uh, Tracy, let's do this. I want to. Uh, James Comey has been speaking out about the memo in the FBI. Comey rips weasels and liars and invokes Joe McCarthy and Twitter rant. So let's just go through a few of these. One, the other day, Comey said Special Agent Andrew McCabe stood tall over the last eight months. When small people were trying to tear down an institution we all depend on, he served with distinction for two decades. Uh, I also wish to continued strength for the rest of the FBI. Then he tweeted uh, back in December. Okay, that's the Bible verse. Anyway, his latest tweet just today. All should appreciate the FBI speaking up. I wish more of our leaders would, but take heart. American history shows that, in the long run, weasels and liars never hold the field so long as good people stand up. Not a lot of schools or streets named for Joe McCarthy. So I guess he's talking about Schiff and um, himself, Feinstein, and himself. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, who is that directed towards? I, it's very, you know, he thinks well, he's like some kind of poet or something. He thinks he's a poet. He's not a poet. Just stop writing, Comey. Stop. Yeah. It's really it, sad. It is sad, and it, it reeks of desperation and and relevancy, almost like uh, you know Hillary Clinton reading from the book at the Grammys. He just can't keep his mouth shut. None of them can. Eric Holder, former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, they're all coming out of the woodwork to comment on this memo. And it is just, uh, it's, it's fun to watch some days. It's fr when you're not in the best of moods, it can be very frustrating to watch these people. But when you're in the right mood, it is so funny to watch these people in damage control mode trying to spin this. And we even had an Oregon, uh, an Oregon Democrat threaten to release other classified material if the memo is released. So these people are becoming unglued, they're becoming unhinged, more so than ever. And it looks like this will be released tomorrow, and we're going to see the effects of it. But I just wanted to make sure we talked about Comey and looked at what he was saying today, because he has, uh, and, and as my dad says, you know, they always mention McCarthy, but one thing they fail to mention is that McCarthy was right. He was. <laughs> Nobody knows the real story behind that, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's really crazy. And Pelosi called for Nunez to be, un he's unfit to serve, yep. he needs to be removed. What, because somebody doesn't agree with you? Exactly. It's sick. It's scary. It's really scary. I really want people to look at, I said, you know, you, I said off with his head, you know what happened to the character in the story. Because what happened to the Queen of Hearts when she said off with his head? Nothing good came of 
of that that character in that mm-hmm. story. Um, she was shaking like a leaf, Pelosi, when she was interviewing with Cuomo, who I have to say, kind of gave a good interview the other night. Did you guys happen to catch that? To when he was interviewing Nancy Pelosi uh, from the State of the Union address. Yeah. And she <laughs> he was she didn't even answer his questions. I remember when he 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 said a number of things, asked a number of questions along the lines of, well. Why do why do Republicans want to release this memo so badly? And she responded with, "It's a lie! It's a lie!" She also said that the American people had their own families and things to worry about, and jobs, and didn't have time to redact the information in the memo. Yeah. But what she was saying was, "Understand what's in the memo." But yeah, there was a yeah, lot she, of good. And then she said, "You don't know what you're talking about." The, the with quality. all due I respect. That was the best. Yeah. That with was all the best. due respect. Yeah, it was. It was really good to watch them squirm. It's good to watch them squirm. It's good. It really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> we can, we can, go ahead, I'm sorry. If I can just interject one thing, and I just want to tell people, uh, Tracy Beans, you've got a supporter because uh, I'm talking out of school here. I, I hope this is all right. You know, there are people who are paying attention to her work, uh, very important people. I'll just tell you that, that, uh, at the FBI level who are spreading her investigative results and, and videos. Um, so, to those people who doubt the effectiveness of Tracy Beans, I can verify that, uh, you know, I've been in contact with uh, somebody from the government who said, look, she's right on the money. And, and a couple of the videos of late, I mean, uh, not, not at, the exclu- at the exclusion of others, but, uh, but your work is being, people are paying attention to your work at the, the White Hats and the FBI. So that's, thank you for that. That is just incredible. I, I well, thank you guys. I'm I'm glad I'm helping. You know, I I just oh that that just like uh, kind of takes me off guard a little bit because it's amazing. You don't know. You guys know this. You don't know who's watching your stuff, and you know you put it up on the internet and you put it out there and you hope that it 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 teaches people and it you know you when you're doing it for the right reasons and you really care about it. It it's it's my heart goes into every single thing that I do. So to hear something like that. Is really really fantastic. Um, I, I you know you can send a message back and just give a salute for me and say I'm glad that I'm making some sort of an impact and that I'm helping get you your story out because it's basically their story. You know it's the truth. It's their yeah. story and they can't tell it. So Tracy, that's amazing. I want to get your opinion on a few things. One, the media reaction to the State of the Union address, and two, anything on the train crash yesterday. Yes. Um, so the media's reaction. <laughs> I didn't see, you know, I spent more time reading um, Twitter than I did actually watching clips. I know that there was the usual, you know, racist, oh, he's so gloomy, he's so disappointing, he's so divisive. But I was looking at Gutierrez walking out while people were chanting USA. I was looking at the Congressional Black Caucus with their African, you know, sashes sitting down while while Trump talked about black unemployment being at its lowest levels ever. You know, these things that everybody in their right mind would be happy about. The the one the one gentleman who wanted to stand and clap but Schumer shot him a look and he was stuck sitting down. I mean, it's sick. And all the people, Elizabeth Warren was like one of the biggest um, Joy Reid. I mean, all these people with their, it's, it's like they were living in another universe. I said it's almost like two different timelines have like accidentally mingled together and like the good timeline and the upside down are like walking amongst one another. It's like they're in a different world. 
I, I, I don't even know how to respond to them. I really don't. No, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, you know, I watched a lot of the clips and, and newsbusters.org is a great site, Tracy, that will, that puts together all of these, um, the, the, the most interesting and, and, uh, crazy ones. And one of the ones, Joy Reid put out a tweet taking mm-hmm. issue with the words church and family and national anthem saying that, you know, that this patriotism is, is nationalism and it's of a, uh, nostalgic for the 1950s era America. And, you know, other people attacking his, Trump's immigration policies, uh, and what he said about America's being dreamers too as some sort of racist. You had the networks taking issue with him pointing out the criminality of the MS-13 gang. Uh, there was an MSNBC host who called it, uh, it basically said that it was a, a fairy tale gang that hasn't caused any problems. Look. I mean, just craziness. I'm going to interject there, okay, because I used to live on Long Island in a town where MS-13 has now turned it into basically you can't walk on the streets anymore. So from someone with personal experience with that gang, I can tell you it is a major problem. It is not a fairy tale. And they've killed... While I was there, there were three or four um, high school, you know, teenagers, females that were killed and left just... the condition that they were left in was just horrific. You, that's why Jeff Sessions went out to Islip um, to talk about MS-13 when he did. Uh, it's a major problem on Long Island in particular. So I, I, anybody who says that that's a fairy tale needs to get back down on planet Earth and put their feet down on the ground because too many people in my community were affected by that gang. They're horrible. We've seen it personally. Virginia and Long yeah. Island, as you said, and they're, it's really bad. Yes. Yeah, th- brutal, brutal. It's not just, you know, not just, it, it's brutal, horrific killings, leaving them in, in fields and parks, and it's it's really bad. So that that's just backwards, that person. In, in, in all of this up to this point, and, and I hope people really understand this, uh, there are a lot of moving parts to, to all of these uh, scandals. If you, They're not scandals. They're they're. They're criminal conspiracies by definition. So I, I just kind of want to back up here and, and give like a um, an overview. You've got Uranium One. You've got the Clinton Foundation. You've got the email scandals. You've got Benghazi. You've got um, Barack Obama, his identity, and of course his workings with the uh, Luger Commission, you know, mega, uh, megatons, the megawatts in that oversight and, and, in Russia, how, how, for example, um, the, the Russians stopped the Luger delegation, um, which, which speaks to Obama's legitimacy. Then you've got, uh, if, if I've mentioned already, excuse me, the, the email, uh, the, the Clinton uh, email scandal or, or crimes. Then you've got the, the, um, FISA abuses. The warrantless searches, the um, so every one of these is an independent. The way I look at it from an investigative point of view, um, these are independent crime scenes, but they're all interrelated. Yeah, you know. So, um, so the Wan brothers. Exactly. I I just did a video, a five minute video. Tomorrow is the. The, the year ago tomorrow was when the Capitol Police prohibited the Awans from uh, the Capitol building. That a year ago already? That's a year ago tomorrow. 
Oh gosh! And, and, and we're t- and, and you know the, the media minimizes this. We're talking about about a dozen people, uh, the awans, the the the, the uh, spouses, the friends, the associates, working over twelve, thirteen years in Congress, the largest spiring um, in in the history of Congress. Uh, six million dollars in in payments uh, for the shared employee status. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. Hey, what do we have? Like ten, ten, eight minutes or so before About three minutes. Um, and, and oh, that's yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just, I mean, on the train, we can talk about the train real quick. Um, the, the, the biggest thing for me that stuck out from an official sort of perspective is that, um, we had on the train a reporter from Fox News who's also married to a congressman or a member. I'm not sure. Um, it was, um, I'm looking through my notes really. Duffy. Um, she was on the train and she had her eight children with her and she says, um, you know what's really concerning to me? They were supposed to be blocking off each crossing. There, they, there were helicopters. Nobody was supposed to be able to be on those tracks. So I don't understand how this truck got on the tracks when there were supposed to be Capitol Police and security and, you know, Secret Service going ahead of the train to block off intersections. That in and of itself right there for me is enough to say, okay, you know, somebody in an official position, in quotes, really thinks that this is nonsense. Um, from that statement alone, I think we've got something funky going on there. And yeah, you know, there's uh, some theories out there that um, this was more coordinated than, than what is being, the, the way it's being reported. Uh, from people saying that there was a helicopter escort of the train, that roads were supposed to be closed ahead of time, ahead of the train. But I have not uh, seen some of those things. That's just speculation. But the timing seems very odd. From an accident investigation point of view, look at the front of the train. Yeah, I don't well, believe the, the, the truck was stopped. I believe this, the, the, the truck hit the train in order to derail it. That's my personal opinion from just the forensic investigation uh the problem is there's two things. Um, they released one photo of the train, and then they released a, a, another photo of the train, but it's not the same train. So you've got two photos out there, one of the regular train and one that's of a different train that they're using in place of the, the regular train. So they're already How muddying it up. Like, because you Just, can see uh, the side... Of, you can see the side of the the train they were traveling in didn't look like a classic Amtrak train. There's stripes on the side of the one that they're pedaling out there as the actual picture, whereas the train they were in was a white um, front car, a white engine car. I can send you an email. I'll send some links to you so you well, can I check see it out. The, the engine car is much different from the carrier cars. It's a different color and different design. Yes, um, and then if yeah, you... Yeah, I'll send it to me. They're different. They're different. They're, they might have just taken a stock photo of a train crash and thrown it out there just because they're trying to keep as much away from us as possible. Quickly, the only other thing I'll mention is Bill Crystal. There's a little controversy about his Twitter. He tweeted about this event before it actually happened. Um, I saw and, that, but I wasn't yeah, able so to verify that's the case. I, I, how I, I how did, soon? Uh, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Or an hour. Actually, an hour. I'm sorry. There was somebody so else that did it. So he texted before 11? Yeah, he said, um, let me pull it up just so that I don't, um, I don't have anything in front of me and I hate doing it that way because I always misspeak. But basically, um, he, he tweeted out before, but what was interesting about that to me is that you know that he sits on the board of the Hamilton 8 company that put out the Russia bot 
information along with Kramer from McCain's office. So <laughs> if you want to start tying things together, Crystal's not a Crystal's not an innocent, you know, cat in all this either. Um, let me see. And he, Tracy, I'll, you'll have to send me the link for the picture of the train. But there is the the back of the train, the rear engine that was uh, that has damage on it. So that might be uh, where you've seen the difference. But I'd like to see the pictures you got. But go ahead with Crystal. Yeah, absolutely. I will. Uh, I will send it to you. Here we go. Hold on. I'm just pulling up my tweet. This is why I kind of like doing it with no camera because I can actually use my computer. Um, Come on. We've only got I, about 15 seconds before a hard break well, here at he the tweeted, top of the he hour. Tweeted, he tweeted, he tweeted we'll before. It. <laughs> Very interesting. Thank you so much. At Tracy Beans on Twitter, and we will talk with you again soon. Wow. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You feel better. You know. Thanks. And welcome back to our third and final hour on this first day of February 2018. We're going to be joined by Peter Chowka. Go to Hagman Report and check out the Peter Barry Chowka section on the right-hand side. There you can see all of his latest articles as he does great work, and he has a few up there from this week. Fox News ratings triumphant in State of the Union coverage is the latest one that is up there on the top of the website right now. And there is a great body of work there and at American Thinker, as uh, Peter has been, been joining us pretty frequently now for the last few months, and we and our listeners really do enjoy it. I, I just want to mention this. I believe that we were ahead of the curve, um, and, and Peter Barry Chuck, of course, is the, the uh, spark behind this. When you look at the um, misinformation, disinformation, the deliberate disinformation that's being pushed out there about the abuses of the of the FISA court and, uh, and about the weaponization of our intelligence agencies. There are only a handful of individuals, reporters, non-new, um, non, um, um, you know, within the the media world. And that that's on Fox, but within Fox, there's only a handful of people. You've got Sean Hannity, you've got um, and Greg Jarrett, and of course, bringing on Sarah Carter, John Solomon, Sebastian Gorka. Peter Barry Chaka was ahead of everyone, saying, "Look, listen to what he is saying." Meaning Sean Hannity, he is an important player in this. And if you if you heard if you heard what Sean Hannity said the other night. Uh, um, and yet it was a it was a quick in and out, and it was a reference to what the White House said to uh, what, what the information he got directly from the White House, and I, I'm just going to stop there. Just let that sink in for a moment. I, I referenced it on my show. The bottom line here is pay attention because. Uh, it is Sean Hannity. It is Greg Jarrett. It is Sarah Carter. These are the individuals who are moving the ball uh, forward down the down the field to expose the machinations, the nefarious deeds of the deep state. And again, uh, behind it all, uh, elevating the visibility of Sean Hannity and supporting his. Uh, work, of course, is Peter Barry Chalka, and we're so very, very pleased to have him on our team. Um, his articles are must-read. Any article that comes out, uh, read them right away and spread them. And, and follow Peter 
on Twitter. That's at P. Chowka on Twitter. That You've got to do that. You've got to do that. With that, Peter, welcome to the program. Thank you again, Doug. It's great to be with you uh, tonight. And before we get underway, I just wanted to express my uh, sincere condolences for the passing of your friend, Greg Evenson. Uh, I first discovered his work, his writing at uh, News with Views, which published his articles for about nine years. And in fact, I just checked and his archive is still there. His articles from uh, 2006 until March of 2015. So listeners or viewers who might not be familiar with his written work uh, can go there and, and check it out. And uh, I had to take note of what Steve Quayle said in the first hour when he said that uh, we shouldn't consider Greg as deceased, but rather he's still alive, he's still with us. And that really resonated with me because it was two and a half years ago that I lost uh, my best male friend, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who I'd known for over 25 years. He was a remarkable individual who was treating people with late-stage cancer out of his office in New York City and with great success in many cases. And he, he was a wonderful friend, a friend of a lifetime, and also um, an unapologetic Christian, which is, of course, what Greg Evenson was, too. And uh, when, when Nicholas Gonzalez died, also way too soon, at age 67, uh, it, it was a heavy burden for me to try to understand that. At the time, I was recovering from surgery to repair a fractured leg. So I had a lot of time to sit here and, and think and reflect and pray. And I also concluded, as, as Steve expressed earlier, that when you know someone like a Nick Gonzalez or Greg, Greg Evenson, someone who's really made a difference in your life and in many people's lives, um, they they really don't pass on because they're, they're, they, they continue to touch us because they touched us deeply in life. And also because they're unapologetic Christians, there's another layer to it, too, in what they're teaching us and the, the example they're setting for us. So I was really moved by the first hour of the show today, and it, it brought me back to my memories of having to come to grips with my uh, friend Nicholas Gonzalez. But um, you know, I would recommend people check out uh, Greg's work at News With Views. If you just search News With Views and Greg Evenson, his archive page will come right up. Well, it will, well thank you, uh, Peter, for for your, uh, your your kind words, and uh, they, they mean a lot. And, you, and you're right, you know, the legacy um, can't take that away, and 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 they're always with us. And I, I know that uh, your friendship with uh, Dr. Gonzalez, my goodness, you know, that passed away too young, but certainly, uh, and and you've not spoken about him as well, and your your friendship with him. Uh, Wow, sometimes. And, and you know what? I hope that everyone watching and listening to this broadcast, tell the person, the, the tell the ones closest to you how you feel, because you just never know. You can, you can walk outside and get hit by a bus. You just don't know. So That's so true. In the, in the case of uh, Nicholas Gonzalez, Dr. Gonzalez, uh, he was 67 years old. He appeared to be the picture of health. He followed a natural, holistic, organic lifestyle most of his adult life, and he looked about 15 years younger than his age of 67. 
And one night in his apartment uh, in New York City, he and his wife had dinner. She went to bed. She heard a noise, and he had collapsed and died. Uh, no warning, no notice, no sign of ill health. And, in fact, uh, the autopsy could not find a cause of death, which made it perhaps even more difficult to accept. But uh, you're right, you never know. You just never know. Exactly. Well, Peter, uh, yep. I think a good place to start would be, uh, we'll, we'll get into your latest piece up on Hagman Report, but what did you think of the State of the Union address? Well, I was inspired by one thing in addition to President Trump, and that is our friends at the uh, Black Caucus who sat down modeled what they called a uh, kinte cloth wrap. Which, now, this is, this is the closest thing I could find. This is actually not an African kinte cloth. It's a, uh, the artist Laurel Birch, who produces cat-themed paintings and works, and this is a Laurel Birch cat scarf. So, but, but looks, I was inspired. Good, I, I thought I would add a little color to the evening here as, um, as I sit down, I'm not going to be standing up during this broadcast. So as I sit here, as the Black Caucus did uh, when the president was speaking, uh, I've got my uh, mock kinte cloth on. But uh, I, I thought it was uh, I thought President Trump's State of the Union address was uh, one of the best speeches I've ever heard a political figure make. And I've watched a lot of the State of the Unions. Uh, the first one I can remember specifically was 1965. President Lyndon Baines Johnson, who had just won an overwhelming election several months earlier, and uh, it was very depressing because it, it was a total Democratic Congress, and he was about to pass uh, without any significant opposition all kinds of socialist legislation like Medicare, Medicaid, the war on poverty, things that we're still recovering from today. So that was a low point. And I have to say that this Tuesday's State of the Union to me was another high point, unexpected to the extent that I think President Trump exceeded my expectations for both the content and the quality of his delivery, including his uh, referring to the guests that were invited to be there for the speech for example, the two sets of parents who had lost their young daughters to violence allegedly by MS-13 gang members. And it was so uh, real and touching. You know, the, many presidents have, have tried to do that. Bill Clinton did that, too. I think Ronald Reagan was the first one who introduced a hero in the audience. It was, uh, in, in that case, I think, 19... I don't know the exact year, it was after a plane crash in the Potomac River and uh, an early responder who dove into the frozen Potomac and saved some of the people was invited to one of President Reagan's State of the Union addresses and that has been followed by many presidents since then. But it's often transparently hokey. This time it was transparently real and seamlessly added, in my opinion, to uh, the quality and the content of his speech. So then you look at um, uh, at the response not only of the Democrats who were in uh, in the audience sitting on their hands or frowning, failing to applaud even when uh, things were said which we should all be happy about, like lowered 
unemployment rate and the lowest black and Hispanic unemployment uh, of all time that records have been kept. Still no response at all from most of the Democrats, in particular the Black Caucus. And then, of course, the both the instant analysis and the written and uh, continuing broadcast analysis of that speech and of President Trump are like your previous guest, uh, Tracy Bean said, it's like a, a parallel universe or another planet. You, you step back and you think, what planet are these people on? For example, last night when uh, Representative Maxine Waters, who of course boycotted the State of the Union and she gave her official response, I guess official for her, I don't know who else she was representing, other than perhaps her constituents, she spoke on black entertainment television, and the clips I saw of that where she uh, said clearly President Trump is a vile racist and things of that kind. I, I, I mean, this woman is clearly sick. She needs therapy. She needs help. Uh, or, or else, you know, there's something else going on, which I hate to even imagine. But, you know, this is the world we're in. But I, I thought it was... Uh, you know, really an excellent speech, and it reads well as well if you read it. You know, and another another thought that popped up when um, when President Obama used to deliver major speeches, including State of the Union addresses, for several days before at least, we would be getting reports from the White House that he was closeting himself there, practicing with teleprompters and cameras, you know, and whatever practice room they had and running through the speech again and again and I, I tend to think that President Trump probably didn't do that you know he's, he's a quick study and yet uh, it, it came off so smoothly and uncontrived that you would have thought he, he practiced it again and again but I think he probably didn't so uh, you know if, if we were in a fair and objective media journalistic reality I think that uh, the press would have to say he did an outstanding job. But instead, the only people really saying that are those on the Internet who we follow and uh, some of the people on Fox News. And by the way, the article that I uploaded today at the Hagman Report is uh, a report on the ratings, which are very interesting. The television ratings for the night of the State of the Union address two nights ago uh, Fox, the Fox News cable satellite channel won the night. It had more viewers, 11.5 million, than uh, any other news channel or, or channel that was covering the uh, State of the Union. And there were 12 channels in all, five broadcast channels, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, and Fox broadcast and the rest were cable channels. And the closest competitor to Fox News Channel on cable was NBC Broadcast, which had, I think, 7.1 million. I detail all this in my article. And then the rest went down from there. And the interesting fact was that Fox News's major competition, the major cable news channels, that is CNN and MSNBC, both of which are so left of center now they've pretty much fallen off the edge uh, they did abysmally on Tuesday night uh, again from memory I think CNN had around 3 million total visitors or total viewers 
Uh, MSNBC had about two and a half million, and they also did very poorly in the preferred demographic, that is, younger viewers aged 25 to 54, which the advertisers prefer. And Fox won handily that share of the audience as well. So uh, the next day, the PR department at Fox News was uh, very happily sending out news releases, and I had some correspondence with uh, the women there who work in that department, and I said, I bet you're popping the champagne today. So it was a deserved win for them. And, you know, it's not that they glossed it over or gave gave one side. They actually were close to fair and balanced. They had many, uh, you know, after the president spoke, they had hours of programs and commentary, which included Democrats and leftists who weren't as enamored of the speech as uh, some of the rest of us were. And they included that perspective. So it probably was a 50-50 split, as it often is on Fox, that is pro and con President Trump, while CNN, MSNBC, and all the rest of the channels were their usual 90 to 95% negative on any news that has to do with President Trump, including the State of the Union address. Yeah, and... uh the media reaction was was just insane, Peter. But even polls from CNN, which they uh, then took down, that showed over seventy percent of people approved. And CBS also, which had a poll that showed ninety-seven percent of Republicans, forty-five percent of Democrats, and seventy-two percent of Independents approved of his speech. And then they, uh, you know, went on to demonize what he said, of course, but the American people, I think, and as you pointed out, with the with the Black Caucus, with the Democrats who didn't clap, even when the parents of the MS-13 uh, gang member violence were there, even with the North, the man from North Korea with such the harrowing story of him crawling across China uh, for freedom, they did not clap, and I think the American people saw them not as, even as anti-Trump, but as anti-American for their silence. Yeah, they, the Democrats and their uh, facilitators in the mainstream media really exposed themselves on Tuesday night as thoroughly anti-American for all to see. But one thing I was concerned about, I was, of course, switching around the channels as the speech was going live uh, to try to get a sense of what the other channels were doing, including after his speech to see what the uh, analysis was. And I was concerned during the speech itself, which ran about 80 minutes, that even Fox News uh, was rarely showing, uh, in, in a close-up way at all, a way that could really be discerned what the Democrats were doing, that they were really sitting on their hands. And the other channels were pretty much avoiding that. I mean, every once in a while, they'd have a, a wide-angle distance shot, which looked like it was from up in the raft or somewhere. And there, if you looked closely or you had a high-definition television signal, you could see that the Democratic side of the hall was uh, there was no movement, no momentum, while the Republicans were standing and interrupting with applause. And in, in some of the later analysis on Fox News and on the Internet, we got to see some of that video, which was obviously shot throughout the speech of the Democrats and how they were really scowling and frowning and sending each other signals, you know, like, don't stand up, you know, don't clap. I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, I hope that lesson will sink in, and I think, again, we have to give credit to President Trump and whoever was helping him out with that speech because he, his performance uh, had either the intended or the unintended consequence of smoking out the opposition and revealing for all to see how they are uh, 
anti-American, uh, well, I don't know what else to call them, but, you know, I, I, I had this thought, um, today's February 1st, 2018, tomorrow, February 2nd, Groundhog Day, and uh, just for personal reasons, February 1st and especially February 2nd have always been very important to me because of what um, what I happened what what happened to me way back in 1968. Now tomorrow will be the 50th anniversary of that. In 19, 1968, did I say 58? 68. 1968 was also a Friday, February 2nd, 1968. Tomorrow is Friday. Uh, February 2nd, Groundhog Day 2018, 50 years. So I've been thinking a lot about 1968, and that first week of February 1968, by the way, 1968 is generally considered the high point of the modern American cultural revolution, when the new left was really at its high point. Uh, the cities were burning, uh, we had the assassinations of Dr. Martin Luther King in April and Senator Robert F. Kennedy in June. And I was in Los Angeles when Kennedy was assassinated, so that memory is very fresh in my mind. We had the disruption of the Democratic Convention in Chicago that August. The street fighting went on there. And then we also had uh, the rise that year of the Weather Underground, which was the domestic communist terrorist group and the reason I, I bring them up, and I'm remembering them now, is because uh, our recent president, Barack Hussein Obama, was, by many accounts, certainly not his own, but by many objective accounts, close to several key members of the Weather Underground terrorist organization. The brief story there is that in 1968, the Weather Underground was beginning their period of days of rage, of, uh, of actual terrorist activities, killings, robberies of uh, banks uh, or armored cars, uh, bombing government buildings. And the two leaders of that movement, in particular, Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, had to go underground for a number of years because they were among the most wanted fugitives. But then when they emerged, they, they escaped prosecution in the early 1980s, I believe, because of loopholes in the law. And, and interesting point, in 1968, part of their uh, theory, part of their analysis and their, uh, what they wanted to do was to uh, provoke a race war in the United States. That, they believed, was the surest path to communist revolution. So they wanted to organize blacks, African Americans in the ghettos. Uh, they were working with the Black Panthers and other violent groups to try to ratchet this up. But of course it didn't work. So when they came out from underground and went legit by going into academia and becoming, amazingly enough, uh, respected professors of education in the case of Bill Ayers, who would have thought it possible? Uh, they they started to do their work more stealthily and skillfully through the establishment by corrupting education, working with academia, uh, putting out books and tracts on how to 
uh, corrupt education at every level from preschool up to postgraduate, and they basically succeeded. Uh, as a brief aside, I read an article linked from Real Clear Politics today. I don't have the reference in front of me, but uh, someone wrote a um, an incredible, incredibly detailed uh, analysis of what's going on with a public school system, I believe, in Minneapolis, and how four or five years ago it was taken over by a social justice curriculum. And you have to read this article to to believe it and to understand it. It's absolutely chilling. In fact, I think what I'll do later this evening is uh, is upload to HagmanReport.com a brief article which has some links and references in it that I access to prepare for our conversation today because this one is one that really deserves people's attention. But, uh, you know, when I think of, of the mess we're in now, well, it seems like we're in a soft revolution, right? We're at a a polarization in this country like we've never seen before, maybe including 1968, and I was a close observer that year. Uh, we have a racial polarization as illustrated by what the Black Caucus is doing, by what people like Maxine Waters are saying, making this, these incredibly hateful, racist allegations against President Trump. And so the Weather Underground and their ilk who I think had a tremendous influence, uh, largely unseen in this country uh, today in terms of the historical analysis. But they certainly worked their magic, and part of that was done through their association quietly and stealthily with uh, Barack Hussein Obama slash Barry Sotero. So we have them and him to thank or to curse for a lot of the, the situation, the mess that we're in today. And it, it, you can say it all started or really got going 50 years ago this year in 1968. This really, uh, you laid that out nicely. And, and I think when you look at it, this is the long game. We're, we're seeing the fourth quarter, in my view anyway, the fourth quarter of the long game of the, uh, the progressive uh, socialists. The long march. Yeah. It's a Maoist revolution, you know. Chairman Mao was the uh, brains behind a lot of this cultural revolution. In fact, in Red China, they called it the Cultural Revolution a few years before the Cultural Revolution hit here in earnest in 1967 and 68. It's actually started by that same name in Red China a few years before at the behest of Chairman Mao Zedong, one of the greatest mass killers in history who was cited by one of President Obama's top advisors, Anita Dunn, as one of her inspirations when she gave a commencement address in 2009. Whose husband is so, Robert Bauer, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. But Go ahead. These are the people we're dealing with. But uh, just, I, want to, I want to note this brief aside as to how things have changed then versus now in, in my lifetime, in my memory. Uh, citing again the year 1968, it was in uh, mid-March of 1968 that Senator Robert F. Kennedy decided to throw his hat in the ring and run for the Democratic nomination because uh, Senator Eugene McCarthy, the anti-war candidate who had been there first, had done well in the New Hampshire primary, and the writing was on the wall that uh, it would be hard for President Lyndon Baines Johnson to maybe even get the nomination later that year. 
And of course, he pulled himself out of consideration on March 31st, 1968. But in mid-March, Bobby Kennedy threw his hat in the ring. And within the next week, uh, I was in Washington, D.C. at that point, uh, going to college, attending college. And uh, my girlfriend at the time and I got wind that Bobby Kennedy would be uh, making a personal appearance, giving a speech in the uh, African-American ghetto, uh, uh, 14th Street in Washington. And we felt no qualms, no hesitation about going there and attending this outdoor nighttime rally with Senator Kennedy. And uh, I recall then and now that I, I think we may have been uh, the only two Caucasians in the audience, and of course there were a few Caucasians on the stage, including Senator Kennedy and most of his staff, but we felt no uh, discomfort, no awkwardness, no dislike, no uncertainty. You know, it, it was a crowd that was there to welcome and hear the speech of the senator, and uh, and and there was nothing untoward about it. Now, I I would venture that today, in today's climate, you you wouldn't be able to do that. No, not at all. And the, you know, uh, Peter, I want to ask you this because when we were talking about the, the state of the union, the, the political divide, the mainstream media, Hollywood, we saw, uh, you talked about Nancy Pelosi and, and the, the racism that she uh, has been uttering, talking about the immigration bill, uh, making America white again, or his, Trump's immigration plan is to make America white again. But the, uh, the political divide that we see in this country and, and uh, the, the side, the line that is being drawn, between those who who support Trump and then those who hate Trump, and I, I phrase it like this: it's a spiritual condition at its core, and it seems that these people are becoming unhinged. They hate everything that uh, is good. They hate anything that helps America, uh, you know, be better. But John asked me a question on the Daily Show, and I want to ask it to you. He asked, you know, do you think there will ever be unity between the left and the right? And I said no, and not only won't there be, we shouldn't want unity with people who advocate abortion, uh, you know, the murder of babies, the people who uh, are, are just so vile and, and hate Christians and hate what America was built on. Do you think that this divide will... Uh, how do you think this is going to play out, if you have to get... Well, well I, I hate to make predictions, but, uh, you know, we're often asked what we think is going to happen from our perspective and history and point of view and I, I tend to agree with you that it's hard to make peace with people who basically have decided that they are our sworn enemies I mean I've always been willing to make peace and to try to unify with the left I, I'm reminded I mean to pick something uh, to refer to something from President Trump's speech uh, a line that really touched me where he said that uh, people with life-threatening diseases who have been uh, told that they're terminal should have the right to use experimental drugs that might be available abroad and are prohibited here by the ridiculous bureaucratic policies of the Food and Drug Administration. And that's an issue that's near and dear to me. I, I reported on that prolifically for decades, that kind of issue, especially as it related to alternative natural therapies which are unapproved here. And uh, there's an issue that polls in the past showed that a majority of people who were left, right, and center 
actually have agreed for decades that it's common sense that if a doctor tells you you've got terminal cancer and nothing more can be done just get your affairs in order and go home and die why shouldn't you have the right to say well i found this treatment you know abroad or here underground or whatever why can't i use this why should some bureaucrat in washington tell you that that that's not possible that that should be a unifying position and yet you know the the black caucus and the democrats sat on their hands when when that line came out of president trump's mouth so if they can't agree to something as commonsensical and non ideological as that then i don't think there's any hope with trying to unify them i think our best hope is is doing what we're doing just trying to reach out continuously to anybody who will listen and have to put our hopes in the fact that more people than not have the intelligence the common sense and the awareness to hear the message that we are reporting and they will join us and the millions of others in our effort to make america great again now and in the next 7 years and if we fail at that so be it but uh you know i don't know how we can make peace with uh you know people who not only approve of abortion but abortion on demand and even post birth killing of babies that they don't like which is where many of them are at philosophically today so i think i agree with you there joe yeah and, and um you know the immigration plan that trump put out there the 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 four tier plan giving uh, a path to citizenship for 1.8 million illegals which obama when he did daca only gave temporary relief to 800,000 immigrants in return uh he asked for an end to the visa lottery system which everybody should agree with that that's a, a very dumb program and he also uh made some concessions with chain migration saying that it would only apply to the nuclear family if it's a kid that comes over you know the parents or parents and kids but not beyond that and funding for border security and listening mm-hmm. to the mainstream media and the way that they were talking about this you know they acted like he said he was going to deport any and everybody uh you know who wasn't even born here they going on and on and just making stuff up saying how it's it's racist and it's hateful and it's mean but really he is doing what he does best negotiating offering a deal compromises on both sides absolutely and, and not only that joe you know we've seen on the internet and also on fox news and on uh some other uh uh talk radio stations uh the hosts and the producers and the editors putting together examples video and audio clips of leading democrats not so long ago mm-hmm. many of them saying exactly the same things that president trump is saying now that we need border security including a fence or maybe a barrier that we that illegal immigration is bad that employers sh- who employ illegals should be sanctioned i mean and, and the the political landscape has moved so far and so fast especially in the 8 years of barack hussein obama that those much more moderate common sense positions are now considered racist uh that, that's the word that's coming out of the mouths of literally some of the same politicians who were saying those things 5 or 10 years ago uh one day last week i i woke up with the thought that uh, which is not original of course but that wow you know i haven't changed that much in my beliefs it's the democrats that have gone off the deep end not that i was ever a card carrying democrat 
and uh, you know they've left the rest of us no choice but for now to make the decision to support and hope for success of President Trump and the Republicans because the alternative is is absolutely unthinkable and later that very day I read an article which uh, very articulately expanded the thought I I had come up with again not an original thought and I'll I'll put that reference in if I add an article at the Hagman Report later because it, it went back in the recent history of Democrat and Republican politics and, and showed how far we have gone off the deep end with the Democrats and what they are proposing now, which which is really a Marxist, Leninist, communist, cultural, revolutionary agenda. You know, we've talked before on how the history of Marxism and Leninism going back a hundred years is basically the Democrat platform today. You know, one world total bureaucratic control, uh, fascism, no free speech, while claiming that they are 180 degrees opposite and projecting uh, those very traits on their opponents, the Republicans, which is what they did with uh, President Trump's address. I mean, some of the instant analysis, and and it was interesting to look at the different channels because they, just like with his inaugural address a year ago, they were all echoing the the analysts on the left wing mainstream media channels were echoing the same talking points and this year they were saying of president trump's state of the union it was sad it was dark he showed himself to be a racist or anti uh, immigrant you know none of which was true i mean a fair objective reading of his speech uh, you, you saw none of that at all. I mean, most of the people he introduced, the guests, were, were people of color. So, I mean, what are they talking about? This is absolute insanity. But this is the big lie. It's worked. It worked for Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Hugo Chavez, and every other dictator and autocrat in history. And uh, the Democrats, in my opinion, are following that model now. Absolutely. And... Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. And as I said earlier, Peter, we see that the, the uh, judging just from the poll numbers, and that uh, the media keeps put, harping this Russia investigation on the heels of this FISA memo release. But I think the American people, uh, more so this week than the last year and a half of the presidency, see through the media's uh, lies and deception and attempts at division. And I know we've talked about this before, Peter, but it's only the media that brings up these issues of uh, divisiveness and, and race. Uh, you know, every other Don Lemon show is is about <laughs> racism, and we don't ever encounter these issues in real life unless we're talking or looking at what the media is doing, and it's just uh, really unfortunate at a time when we see a president who actually wants to uplift America and its people that we can't have everybody on board for uh, along for the ride because that would make make things a lot smoother. But here we are, nonetheless. So absolutely, uh, you're you're so correct, Joe. And you know, in in personal life. And I think it's been this way for many years now, if not for many decades. Uh, this is not, in my opinion, a, a racist country. Uh, at least it hasn't been until recently, maybe. And I, unfortunately, I have to say, as we've discussed before, and some of your other guests have noted, unfortunately, a lot of the racism now is coming from black Americans towards white Americans. But, uh, you know, in our personal lives, uh, I... I I, I really don't think racism had a major role to play at all, certainly in my life. 
But now it's, you know, the, the, the detriment that the mainstream media has is, is that it's obviously very, very influential, influential to millions of people. If it wasn't, then why would the leading corporations be spending billions of dollars a year to advertise their products and services on the mainstream media? So it works to change people's minds. And with this complete uh, one single voice now spewed by the mainstream media in recent years, especially in the past year or year and a half, which is so far out of balance that it, it just you, you can't even describe what you're seeing, reading, or hearing anymore. This has a direct impact on many folks who are hearing it. And I think when you see now many people in the African-American community or the immigrant community being all riled up because they imagine that every white person, every white American, their fellow citizens is, is out to get them, is harboring racist thoughts and intents and wants to keep them down and suppress them, which is totally far from the truth in my opinion, that that's, that's one of the real bills that these people are going to have to pay in the final analysis for the harm that they have caused. And it's, it's the kind of harm that can lead, and I think it has led, to violence already. And uh, I just hope it doesn't go much further, but uh, we shall see. And, and I believe, uh, Peter, this is Obama's legacy. Obama owns all of that. Um, when you look back at the eight years and you look back at uh the, the um uh well we we you know we can go through all of the various uh situations where he exploited the racial component uh starting with the Cambridge police that's right. acted stupidly in uh, the summer of would, 2009 the beer summit i was thinking exactly that as kind of a, one of the big starting points um but but okay now now just changing a little bit here uh, we've seen with the with the news, the big news, of course, the release of the four page FISA executive summary, and the and the blowback. Um, it, obviously, at the tip of the spear on this has been Sean Hannity, uh, Greg Jarrett, uh, Sarah Carter, the, the all the people that have contributed to uh, Sean's program. Um, where are we at with this? Uh, I, I mean, I. Where are we at in a larger sense? With um, what are we what are we seeing take place here? Well, Hannity, as you probably know, is predicting, among some others who seem to have inside sources, that uh, tomorrow the four-page memo will finally see the light of day. And if it does, the question is: Will it be redacted? Will names be expunged? And if so, how many and how much? What will we be allowed to see? So, you know, trying to make predictions uh, at the start of this week uh, were difficult, and it, it shows how difficult it is to try to figure out what's coming because every day this week has brought surprising developments. And again, I have to say we ain't seen nothing yet, and we can see how the Democrats and their allies throughout the popular culture, the mainstream media, academia, etc., are able to uh, put you know, lipstick on this pig that they're riding. You know, they they are able to come up with stuff, with with talking points and spin that are patently ridiculous. But because they have the complete and almost total support of the mainstream media, with the exception of some of the folks on Fox News, 
they're able to get away with it. And it's going to be a real fight for the, the hearts and minds of America, informed America in the days ahead. But Hannity, of course, uh, I think, well, I've heard people say this week about him that he and his associates on his radio and television program, especially during the past year, deserve tremendous credit, which you and I and a few others have been giving him for months now for what he and his colleagues have done to uh, advance this story according to the finest traditions of, of fair and objective investigative journalist to call the shots as they see it, to speak truth to power and let the chips fall where they may. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Sarah Carter, uh, John Solomon, Greg Jarrett, uh, some of the other expert guests he's had on it, and Hannity himself. You know, Sean Hannity, I was, I was listening to his radio show today, a syndicated radio show, as I often do, and I was struck again at how off the top of his head, because he doesn't work from a script, I know that for a fact, you know, he'll, he'll run f- with it for 16, 18 minutes a segment with no notes, no script, no teleprompter, certainly, and lay it all out in a way that is very clear, very concise, very well summarized, and very easy to understand. And it makes a tremendous impact, even on someone like myself, who is so mired in this information that sometimes you you kind of lose control of the big picture, you know, as you're trying to really summarize what we're dealing with here. And Sean has that incredible talent and skill that he's developed over 30 years of hosting radio and TV programs. And, uh, you know, his audience certainly gives him credit for that, but he's not given near enough credit by his peers. In fact, he probably isn't given any credit by his peers in the media, and I don't think he's ever won any prestigious awards, but he certainly deserves them, as do uh, Sarah Carter, John Solomon, and some of the others who have been breaking these stories day in and day out for the last year or more. You said it well, and I think people have to realize that, um, and again, the heat that we have taken uh, supporting Sean Hannity, and we've taken heat. People are saying, why would you support um, the the uh, the corporate media, of course, it, it, it's really a no-brainer. I mean, um, if we lost Sean Hannity in terms of the Fox News lineup, it, the I mean, the death knell for the conservative aspect of, of Fox News would be uh, ever so present. So we've got to keep that um, we've got to keep that in mind. And and he's got I mean, he is in the crosshairs of so many. On the other side, on the deep state, um, and, he really is right on yeah. the edge of the knife or the tip of the spear. There, his enemies are out there. They're well organized. They have their tentacles reaching deeply into the media and every place else, and including continuing to try to take down his advertisers to influence them. That it's not worth their while to advertise on his program. So it's pretty much a day to day day-in-day-out war of attrition with Sean Hannity and uh, his niche there at Fox News and uh, also on his syndicated national radio show, too. Precisely. And um, I've noticed on on Fox Business, I've noticed Lou Dobbs, of course, carrying the torch as well 
being being a compatriot, I suppose, of, of Sean Hannity. So all, all of this is working together, and and I'm glad that we are looking at this or or at least supporting this aspect of the um, I don't want to say corporate media, but um, in in the in, in the media that that Sean Hannity, Lou Dobbs, and others do. Where I'm glad, do you know, before we move on from that point, yeah. Doug, I just wanted to add something because it, it reminded me that we're not only in 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 uh, explaining or highlighting what Sean Hannity and the relatively few major media figures like him actually accomplish, which helps all of us, in our opinion. Uh, in addition to defending uh, our support of him with the left or against the left, the enemies out there, a lot of people who are sort of purist conservatives are, are also uh, constantly attacking me for the articles I write in American Thinker which take reader comments. I mean, the article that uh, I put up today at American Thinker, both at American Thinker and the Hagman Report, uh, about the State of the Union ratings, in which I mentioned that uh, Fox News came out way, way ahead, and we should all feel pretty good about that because they are under the gun, and they've had a rough year this last year. Now they have a really good and solid primetime schedule, whatever other problems they're their day parts might have. They're pretty good in prime time. And I'll get comments by people saying, oh, I've cut the cord and you're an idiot, Chowka, for writing about Fox News and Hannity's a multimillionaire. He's just doing it for the money and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, well, Peter, you know, uh, I understand their frustration. After 9-11 and after the, the cover-up and, and many of the anchors' refusal to even address some of the basic questions, uh, specifically about Building 7, and others, I understand people's disdain for any mainstream media. But look at this. Uh, you know, Laura Ingram has done an awesome job. I mean, she—you talk about somebody who was put in a slot and and is excelling and, and exceeding. I think what many expected of her, she's doing a great job. And isn't it not only right. true that when you have, uh, like, when Obama was in office, Fox News, you know, always won those rating bat ratings battles. Right. So oh, they were number one. They were number one for 15 solid years, starting actually in 2001. And they, you know, when the Gulf War came in 2003, they were rah rah that war. As were the other channels. Actually, MSNBC actually had some primetime right wing rah rah programs at that point, and they got rid of Phil Donahue on MSNBC because they felt he was too anti-war and too far left. So, you know, uh, and, and another thought is the Sean Hannity of 2001, post 911, is not the, the same Sean Hannity of today. We're 17 years down the line. And, uh, you know, I dare say that most of us, if we look back at the analysis we were coming up with in 2000, 2001, whenever, you know, we, we've got a, a more uh, hopefully enhanced, mature, and nuanced view of reality now, which hopefully comes with maturity. But I like to, ju to judge people like Sean Hannity, to evaluate him and others on what they're doing right now. And uh, the only, the only uh, quibble I have with him is, uh, as he did a moment ago, because he's, as usual, on the monitor here with the volume down, and one of his guests tonight is uh, Jessica Tarloff, the Democrat uh, strategist oh, who is why? now. Why? 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 You know, I, I, I've asked Sean that question, and he will he he uh, he won't answer it. I, I you know because he on the one hand he says that he has complete editorial control of his program, which means obviously he's going to book the guests he wants to put out there, and yet 
He'll book people like uh, Geraldo, although Geraldo is a, a friend of his, and who knows there. But I just don't get Jessica Tarloff at all. And, I mean, she's not only impossible with her content, but her presentation is grating. And I have to say that 100% of the comments at American Thinker that have mentioned her have been negative over the last eight months, and there have been probably hundreds of them have mentioned her. So I, I don't get that. But... You know, at the same time, oh, and I should also say, you know, I wrote a review or several articles about the uh, Fox series Scandalous, which is running on Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. That's an hour-long documentary, and the first seven parts of this series are about the Clinton scandals of the 1990s, and I wrote a rather positive review of it, and uh, some people criticized it and I thought maybe I should take a little of it back and give it like a B plus instead of what was probably came off as like an A because it's not perfect and it doesn't get too deeply in, into some of the really on the edge scandals that the Clintons are alleged to have been involved with but at the same time you have to evaluate it in terms of the big picture I mean what are we looking at here we're looking at a mainstream media that is so corrupt that it might as well be Pravda from the old Soviet Union days. I mean, it is shadow government, deep state, communist-controlled, one-world, new-world order media. That's what we've got virtually every place. Print, big-moneyed Internet that's not alt-right, and uh, electronic media. And uh, the one exception in the mainstream media, and it is considered mainstream, is a Fox News. So, of course, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the cable news channel that you or I would program, but it's the best thing we have got. And it has some really fine people, writers, producers, and executives there. And I've dealt with a number of them, including their public relations staff, who are really into it and, and kind of reflect our point of view sincerely. Uh, so, you know, we should really be careful of, of who we throw mud at for the people out there who are slinging mud at Fox News who consider themselves traditional conservatives. If they want to get all their news from the Internet, more power to them if they're up to that level. But there's a reason we call this mainstream media because most people today still get most of their news from the mainstream media, including the electronic media. And that was proven on the night of the State of the Union when uh, 40 or 50 million people watched the mainstream media to watch uh, President Trump's address. And there's no way of measuring how many may have watched it streaming on the Internet because that yeah. the ability to, uh, to really accurately measure that is not there yet. And I added that paragraph onto my article today at the Hagman Report about the ratings for State of the Union. And until they come up with a way to accurately measure how many people are streaming you know, program X, Y, or Z at any one time, we're, we're really not going to know. There probably were millions, but there I don't think it was 40 or 50 million. No, but there was a, at least a good 5 million. I know a number of channels, you know, streaming that mm -hmm. had, you know, anywhere from 3,000 to 20,000 people viewing it, and I'm sure there was a lot of those. And I know what well, we went through streaming State of the Union on our YouTube channel. A number of other outlets did, too. The Daily Wire uh, got the same thing as us. And what's interesting about this, we, as well as them, were streaming a C-SPAN feed. And CNN is the one who is filing the the uh, the claim, which I, we don't understand how they have done this, but we and, weren't the only and ones. They also, they also spanked me for a minute, 30-second announcement for referencing the live stream. Yeah. 
Okay. W- which? Wait, because you used the word live stream? I, I, I don't know. They just said this well, is they not were, They were lying and wait for you. They were out there, you know, watching, listening, yep. and waiting. Yeah, they, they were. And, and, and Peter, we've, we've only got about three minutes left, so, brother, it's yours. Take it wherever. Well, uh, concluding thought, I think, uh, I hope this is not a pre- premature announcement, but uh, John invited me as of next Monday to start uh, a regular weekly appearance yes. on the Hagman Report for one hour, the third hour, uh, starting out each Monday. And uh, so that will begin next Monday, the 5th, and then we'll take the next Monday off because you're already booked that night, but then it will resume on Monday, February 19th. So uh, assuming it starts next Monday at the 9 p.m. Eastern hour, I'll have a, a little brief introduction there, and I'll try to do an article as, as well to land that day at Hagman Report about um, what I hope to achieve with uh, having this be a regular weekly appearance so that at the start of the week, we can both compare notes and reflect on the week that just was, that was the week that was, and also being Monday, we'll be starting a new week and we can try to uh, look forward to, if not predict, what we should look out for in the week ahead. So I'm really looking forward to that. And it will also allow me to plan a uh, hopefully fairly major article that I can drop at the Hagman Report each Monday exclusively for thehagmanreport.com, which will have something that I'm reporting on. And we can take a little bit of time to discuss that, but I don't foresee that as being the major part of the hour that we'll have together on Monday night. So... I'm really looking forward to that, and uh, I appreciate your mention, by the way, of my uh, Twitter. I'm right on the cusp of um, the 3,000 followers number, so I would really appreciate anyone on Twitter within the sound of my voice to uh, please go there. That's twitter.com slash pchalka, and the address is on the monitor behind me or the spelling of my name. And uh, if you can, if you're a Twitter member, please follow me. And I promise not to overload you with uh, tweets. I tweet uh, once, twice, or three times a day, usually my articles, but other things that are of important interest in my opinion. And as we've said before, the more people who, quote, follow us on social media, the better it is, not so much for us individually, but for the cause, because what we're doing, writing, broadcasting, speaking, and informing, deserves as large an audience as possible. And the way we achieve that today in the face of the Pravda blockade of the mainstream media and the shenanigans that are being pulled on some of us now by the big providers like YouTube is to work with social media while it's still there and can work on our behalf. So thank you to everyone who can visit my Twitter, read my articles, and follow me. And I'll look forward to uh, seeing you again next oh, Monday. We are, we are excited, and I'm glad you made that announcement. We're excited about this uh, because, again, the week before, the week ahead, the, uh, uh, the, the, the it's a great fit. Plus, the information you have is always right on the money with respect to Twitter. It's not about the people. It's about the penetration, and, and, and that's so important that everyone understands because this is a war of information. And, uh, Peter, we need to be winning this war, and with you on our side, with you on the side of good, um, that's just one more you know, leg up uh, in this battle. 
So when more. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And hey, uh, congratulations to Eric, the tech, for getting this video rolling tonight. I know that was really difficult. So bravo, Eric. Man, I don't know how the heck he did it, uh, but uh, thank you for. And well, uh, Eric just took a bow. So thank you, Peter. (laughs) All right. All right. Until next time. Uh, tomorrow night. We'll, all right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Peter. Folks, that'll do it. Um, hey, nine o'clock a.m. Eastern time, that Doug Hagman radio show, two to three, John and Joe. A lot of news tomorrow. Pay attention. Go to hagmanreport.com, hagmanreport.com. Follow the Twitter feeds as well. Rock and roll, lock and load. <laughs>